Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by John Kurtz. Covers the Big 12 Conference with the Kansas City Sports Network and also doing a weekly Big 12 show on YouTube and among other things. Uh, great insights coming ahead from John Kurtz on uh, the Big 12 season and also realignment, among other things. Uh, you will not want to miss out on that coming up in just a little while from right now. Plus, we'll have Coach Bowles Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group, as well as our return of the Pigskin Pick'em, our weekly picks against the spread, our Tom Foley story of the week, Big 12 breakdown, all of that more ahead. Thanks for joining us here as football is officially back and Thomas Bridges is here with me as well. Tom, it has uh, been quite the week already. Some uh, football already in the books. I love seeing the gift that keeps on giving of Nebraska football, finding unique ways to lose. I, I, I'll be honest, whether it's in Ireland or whether it's in the U.S., I'm loving this new tradition of kicking off the college football season with Nebraska losing on week zero against some mediocre Big Ten team. I'm all for it. What a way to start the year. We're off and rolling. I mean, we are off and rolling. And, and to be honest, if, if Nebraska's had enough, maybe this is the last year that we see Scott Frost losing the first game. I want Scott Frost to coach in Nebraska forever. I love Scott Frost's tenure in Nebraska, how everything's gone so far. I mean, I think everybody else, or at least the what we have now called the hateful eight of the remaining Big 12 members, uh, don't mind seeing Nebraska lose, um, especially in in Ireland. I don't know if it was the luck of the Irish in terms of the helmets that, you know, Northwestern was able to, to put on for that game. They obviously did a little bit more than Nebraska. Granted, they were essentially the home team, but um, you know, it was a good game. I, I'm glad I didn't put any money down on it. See, I'm the opposite. I thought Northwestern would cover, and now I regret not actually putting money down on it because not only did they cover that 11, they won it outright. I thought it was so perfect. The onside kick call up by 11 and Scott Frost decides to pull one out of his ass. And you know what? Why not an onside kick here? I mean, who who else would have made that call there? I mean, did he think he was Nick Saban or something? I mean, when Nick Saban did that in the championship game and got Clemson off guard here, I mean, that was like the Scott Frost era of Nebraska football in a nutshell, right? There. You know, it really was. And, and, you know, at that point, it's like, <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm sure – can you imagine being a Nebraska fan and thinking you had it maybe – not in the bag, but you, you were feeling pretty good at that point. And then you give Northwestern good field position and then they're obviously the rest is history after that. Imagine paying that much money. There are a lot of times I thought I should send an invoice to Mike Gundy, especially after the Big 12 championship this last year. Now, if I had flown over to Ireland and seen OSU sh- the bed like that, uh, there probably would actually have been an invoice sent. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, that was uh, that was something. 
from uh, from Scott Frost and then Nebraska team. And, and, you know, they even gave out free beer and food at that game because the Wi-Fi was down. I guess that's how they do things in Ireland over there. Why can't that be the standard gesture, Tom? Like, when my internet goes down at my apartment, you know what they tell me? Uh, we're working on it. Uh, we'll try to get it fixed. They don't send me free beer or, or free food. I mean, uh, wh- why can't I have that in my everyday life? I mean, we, we go to stadiums all the time that don't have Wi-Fi. And we're trying to fight for what little 5G we can get. I mean, if we would, you know, if we would have went there, you know, or if the Wi-Fi, and I think it was more so in terms of like the Wi-Fi going down for credit card payments, you know, here in Oklahoma or here in the, I don't know, the Southwest, I guess you could, in terms of Texas, I know you're going, you could call it the Southeast now, vomit. Um, at that point in time, you could, you know, what they would, you know, what we would get told Jones and say, well, hope you have cash. Right. Yeah, they're not just gonna be handing it over to you. Uh, they're like, well, okay, well, sorry, your internet's down. Um, here's a free ten dollar Bud Light. Right. Yeah, that's not happening. Uh, man, I, I would have needed a few of those if I was a Nebraska fan after that performance. I mean, Tom, that even before the game began, Nebraska gets the gift of the It's Corn song going viral, which I absolutely uh, love. And that needs to be Nebraska's anthem. Uh, in fact, why not make it just the national anthem at this point? And they let that poor kid down. He came up with that great song about corn. It was going to be the theme of their season. They had him, And they had to let the kid down like that. Typical Nebraska. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it was pretty disheartening corn. for it's them. Yeah. No, it's not corn. It's cone. It's corn. It's cone. Yeah, it's cone. It's got the juice. It's got the juice. <laughs> like that song has been running through my head, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so many times I thought, oh my God, like I hate that this is, I hate this song that's going through my head. Not because it's bad or it's catchy as know. hell. Yeah, I'm, oh my gosh. Like I've woken up and been like, oh my gosh, like it's cone. And I'm like, no. Like, I can't let this – I can't let this happen to me. You know, and – Nebraska, you're not even worthy of that. Like, we're giving that over to Bigsby for their Bigsby corn. You know, I, I think they should. And, and Jones, I'll tell you, you, you want to know a good cone fact? Okay. I want to know if you know this. Okay. And maybe I should have known this. You know, I, I know you grew up in almost Coweta, so you kind of grew up – you grew up more rural than I did. Uh, you had you had cows with within a football throws distance of you growing up. Um, that's how we knew you really lived in Coweta, Oklahoma. But um, did you know? And I, I this was brought to my attention here very recently. And I want to ask you, in terms of a corn stock, right? Like one single corn plant. How? How many corn, like how many pieces of corn, how many, I guess the best word for it is how many units of corn do you think come off of one corn stock? If you could guess. It's a lot. Isn't it like between like eight and 10? You think for every corn seed planted, there are eight to 
to ten like ears of corn off of one. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I think. That's what I thought too. And then I got wise, or I my dad. This is my dad told me this. We, I drove to Colorado. The great John Bridges. Yes. Yep, John Bridges. I drove to Colorado at the end of July, and me and my dad we drove through all of Kansas, and then I dropped him off at my cousin's house in Colorado Springs, and I went on a winter park to DJ this wedding. And he told me, and I, I didn't believe him until I looked it up on Google. He said, did you know that out of each corn plant, like each single stock that is grown, each single little seed, each own corn plant for the whole year, this is no BS, they luck, sometimes luckily they get two ears of corn, but each stock only produces one ear of corn. What? One. Yeah. Trust me, I called bullshit on it until I had to look it up, and I thought, no way. And that's why you see so many miles, I guess, miles and miles of corn grown, because it's only one to the plant. I, I could have swore it was more. It blew my mind. That could be tomfoolery today, because I was like, there's no way it's just one. So you got I this. Looked, I looked it up, and they said, sometimes, luckily, they can get two. Like, every... I don't know, one out of eight corn plants grows actually two. So that giant corn plant, which is however tall it is, can one only produce one thing corn. Well, what's the rest of the thing then? I, I guess all trash, you know? I, you know, and I guess, Jones, that's why we don't, you know, if I had to advise anybody to grow anything, it wouldn't be corn. It'd probably be weed. That's to grow a lot of pot. Well, that makes sense why... Corn and ethanol is so expensive then. Yeah, because you're only getting one ear of corn out of each plant. Granted, they, they do miles and miles of it, but, get to you know, I, I agree with you. I thought the same thing. I said, well, you okay. Know how well, much of a pain in a, of an ass that must be to plant? Oh, it would be terrible. It, it would be terrible. Like, think about that. Like, each little seed you're getting. Like, think of how much corn costs. Even if, even if you buy it from, let's say, research, you could buy one ear of corn that is ready to like be buttered and grilled with the grease. Uh, <laughs> um, you're thinking, you know, if, if you bought that on the street, it's going to cost you $3 an ear of corn. Say, let me get some of that grilled cone, you know, it's okay. Well, give us, you know, here's $3 for yeah. a foil drop it has the juice. with the juice and the grease. Yeah. Well, the butter with the grease. Yeah. It's, you know, I could, I could change everything. Yeah. I couldn't imagine such a more beautiful thing. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that came from one little plant, just one though. But to, to your, to your point, before my dad told me this, and I had to look it up. I said, okay. He said, how he asked me, we we're driving through bum Kansas, which obviously so many, it's, it's all corn. It's, it's cone, you know, it's cone, <laughs> you know? And I'm thinking, this is before this even happened, right? This is the before it got big. Um, like that recess therapy video from Instagram was not even out yet. And he goes, Dan, look at all this. Look at all this cone, you know? And I'm like, yeah, this is ridiculous. Like, this is the most boring part of the whole United States. 
and he had never been to Colorado. And I said, just wait. I said, we'll get to Colorado and you'll, you'll see, you'll see more. And he goes, and then that's when he told me, he said, do you know that one corn plant only produces one ear of corn? I said, there's no way. I said, there's no, I said, it has to be at least six. You got to at least get six ears of corn out of it. And he goes, no, it's only one. And I said, I've seen so many pictures of like it depicted where, you know, at least it's two, one on each side of the stock. No, it's just one. One ear of corn. Wow. That my mind has been blown. I had no that's idea. Your, that's your that's your Oki that's your Oki Ag fact of the day, presented by presented by uh, Oklahoma Farm Bureau. Exactly. Yes. Get yeah. your comp. Golly, or uh, or uh, American uh, American ethanol grown in Iowa. Yes. Right, and or my favorite, if it's grown in Kentucky, it's presented by whatever whiskey distillery that is 51% cone. Cone, yes. It's got the juice. Yeah, what a got juice, baby. Yeah, what a beautiful thing. Um, with college football starting, Tom, uh, getting going this weekend, we'll get to our Big 12 breakdown here in just a second, focus on the conference as a whole. But I, I got to tell you, for, for this year, isn't it amazing to me, Tom, we've spent – all this time, the last several months, talking NIL, transfer portal, conference realignments. I mean, there are more changes in this sport right now than there's ever been previously, and it's all happening at one time. And now we finally get to play football. We finally get to go on the field and, and see this happen for itself. And, you know, it, it's as it's been said many times before, this sport is the Wild West right now. It is evolving. It's changing rapidly. But at the end of the day, Tom, uh, we're still, I think, going to have a great season. Um, you know, all these changes, you know, one thing after another, they'll happen one way, sure. But what matters most is that we're, we're finally getting these teams on the field. And, and, and I think the other thing, too, with all these changes, and we'll talk about this more with Bo later on, is that what I see, Tom, is that maybe it's not this year, but the playing field is actually going to even out a bit. Here's what I mean by that. You know, right now it's still Alabama and then everybody else, but Alabama can't pay everybody, and we've already seen – Texas A&M out recruit them and Nick Saban accused them of, you know, paying for all their recruits. But, you know, Texas A&M's, the Georgia's, the Oklahoma's, the Texas, the USC's of the world, all these schools are going to go deep into their pocketbooks, uh, just like Alabama is too. And, uh, I mean, save this for the, the old take exposed or the hot take. But, Tom, I could very well see this being the last year of just dominance from Alabama. Here's what I mean by that. Like, Alabama's going to be good, I think, even well past Nick Saban. But as far as this time that they own, I think it's not going to be them versus everybody else after this year. With the way the sport's headed, 
I think, and for the better, it's not going to be just three, four, five teams competing for the title. I think for the better, with all the changes that are being made, we're progressing towards 10, 15 more teams being able to compete, having an even playing field to actually challenge Alabama uh, to compete for the title. But the sport in that sense is heading in the right direction, I think. Yeah, you, you kind of sense maybe some changing of the guard. Um, and and I could be somewhat remiss in saying that in terms of like – We're not <laughs> saying Alabama's dead either. We're saying everyone else is getting better. Exa- well, no, you're exactly right because, you know, some people be like, well, you know, Nick Saban just got a contract extension until 2030. Or, you know, they could say whatever they want to say. Um, but, Jones, I also didn't know if you've seen the kind of news today and yesterday that – you know, the, the playoff committee has the option to extend to a 12-team playoff in 2024 and 2025. And that can change a lot of things, too, because it's at that point, it's not only one bowl game or, you know, it's not a semifinal essentially that you're playing to get the national championship. That means you got to start at, a, at, at um, a, a prelim and then a quarterfinal. That just gives you more opportunity to slip up. And I'm not saying that Alabama is going to be the team to slip up. It's just, you know, if you look at it by mathematical standpoint, more opportunity makes your chances go down a little bit further if you're the favorite. That's just how it is. And and so we're not – Jones, I want to read it for the, the people listening. We're not going to say, okay, yeah, we're going to be the ones to say, you know what, Nick Saban's fall off. They're going to go to shit. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But like you, like you said, it's – there, everybody else is on the come up. And I, I don't think Alabama is – it's not that they're not doing enough. It's just like they're doing the most they can, but everybody else is also getting the opportunity to be on their come up too. So right. I, I think we see more parity a lot sooner than what maybe some other people could think. Right. Um, week one of uh, this slate of games here, solid week. Uh, not the best week one we've ever seen, but not the worst either. Um, you know, Notre Dame, Ohio State, obviously, it's the marquee game. It's the primetime game on, on ABC on Saturday nights. Um, you know, other games you got include Cincinnati, Arkansas, Oregon, Georgia, um, you know, West Virginia and Pitt coming up tonight, just to name a few. I mean, really good week to begin the season, and we'll pick those games coming up in our pick them segment later on, but Tom, for me, I mean, the obvious one, obviously, is Notre Dame, Ohio State, top five teams, two of them, and two of the biggest name brands in the sport, maybe the two biggest name brands between the two. But the sneaky good game that has my eye is that Cincinnati-Arkansas game. Cincinnati, how do they respond coming off that playoff appearance and all they lost last year? And Arkansas, who was so bad for so long, but Sam Pittman's done a really good job and they're on the up and up, and they're looking to have their best year they've had in a very long time here. To me, that's the sneaky good game. That's the one I, I might even be most excited about this weekend, in all honesty. What about you? What are what games uh, have your attention? You know, it's it's got to obviously be, and in, in just to be biased, it's Oklahoma State um, versus Central Michigan has my most interest, rightfully so. You're going to get a lot of bias, Thomas, Oklahoma State today, FYI. No, no, no. And, and rightfully so, though, because if you look at Oklahoma State last year, 
if you look from where they started to where they finished the first three games, I was thinking in my mind, and I can speak for, I, I can honestly speak for every Oklahoma state fan listening in that I didn't think that they would, I thought they would be lucky to make a bowl game. And I thought a lot of other people thought that they would be, you know, on the same, on the same plane, the same train, the same boat, um, all that Dr. Sue, you know, we don't like, I mean, it, it felt like going into the season, it felt like Oklahoma State said, we don't like wins on a boat. We don't like them on a goat. You know, we don't like them on a moat. We, you know, they had, they had it all. I thought it, it felt like they were losing to somehow get the number one pick they would never get. Um, and they, they pulled it out of their ass, and they ended up beating Notre Dame in an epic comeback after a heartbreaking loss in the Big 12 championship. Um, you know, and, and Spencer Sanders coming into what could be his final year. He could come back next year. I doubt it. Um, you know, from what Mike Gundy said, we got a logo too. I'm interested to see, um, if they start out the season hot, uh, they could start out the season like Iowa state does and central Michigan to them has a negative connotation. Besides that Jones, I'm looking at the backyard brawl. Slovis is already talking shit. We've seen it. Uh, he went on record and said it, whether it be an Instagram or TikTok. Um, I, I can't tell you which, probably both. And they haven't played that game in a decade, over a decade. Um, they are saying that there should be more West Virginia fans in Pittsburgh than there are Pitt fans. That is a rivalry. That is essentially like having a state game. Um, I mean, they're, I think it's an hour and a half drive from Morgantown to Pittsburgh. Yeah. People fly to Pittsburgh to go to West Virginia games. That's, I mean, that's what I was going to do. Well, actually I was going to fly to DC and then drive up because I wanted to see DC, but uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. That's, that's how you get to Morgantown generally is to fly into Pittsburgh and then drive, um, you know, that that is going to be a game that I think people will not want to miss. Um, and we talked about it on the Pick'em, but we'll talk about that game on the Pick'em segment later on. But, um, you know, I, I think that game, you know, everyone's going to say, okay, well, Ohio State, Oregon. Okay, yeah, that'll be a good Ohio one. Ohio State, Notre Dame, you mean, yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry, my bad. Yeah, did you get what I'm coming from? But it's, it's going to be at Pitt, West Virginia is – is going to be the game of the week after everything's said and done. Maybe so. Uh, and, you know, the, the storylines at the quarterback spots, Slovis and Daniels uh, were teammates at, at uh, USC, and now here they are uh, at different schools and as rivals now. It's going to be intriguing uh, for sure. We'll have more on that game coming up later. It is time for our Big 12 breakdown this week. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges is here with you with a look around the Big 12 conference as the Big 12 begins their season this week. No games week zero, but a full slate of games ahead with uh, week number one. And Tom, before we kind of break down the games here, I want to dive into you know the conference outlook. We have dissected this league inside and out for you know a while now and so with everything that's being said let's go ahead and give our pick for 
who wins the league and who wins offensive player of the year all starts. I think at the end of the day, as much talk as there's been about Baylor, I still can't shy away from this Oklahoma team of what OU brings to the table, uh, even with as much as they lost. They're still really talented. They still have a good quarterback and Dylan Gabriel coming in. I think that defense is going to be drastically improved with Brent Venables. Um, It's not going to be pretty. They'll lose some games from time to time, but I still cannot pick against Oklahoma in the month of November. In championship November and in December, uh, it's football time at Oklahoma. You know, I'm, I'm going with Oklahoma to win the league. Offensive player of the year. Uh, there's a lot of different directions you can go with that one as well. But I like Deuce a lot, but I think I like B. John Robinson a little bit more. I think that he is going to be a guy that contends for the Heisman potentially. Don't know how many games Texas wins, but it doesn't matter. B. John Robinson still going to have an incredible year. Uh, that award is not about wins and losses. It's about production. The production is going to be there. I think B. John Robinson is uh, your Big 12 Offense Player of the Year. So those are my picks. How about you, Tom? Who wins the league? Who wins Offense Player of the Year? Jones, you know, as much as I hate to say it, I do agree with you somewhat that I will not sleep on OU, um, even with all the changes. Here's what a lot of people are saying in terms of, I believe in Baylor. Baylor lost a lot. And sure, you can say OSU lost a lot on defense. They lost their defensive coordinator. They lost two linebackers that have made 53-man rosters. Uh, hell, they lost a, a running back that made the 53-man roster for for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I mean, they lost a decent amount. And I think what people are kind of glossing over is the defense is going to be fine. I think Derek Mason coming from Auburn was about the best that they could do in terms of replacing Jim Knowles. They will have a, um, to be honest, and I know I'm biased here, they'll have a historic defensive line. No one, it's going to be very hard to get the ball off against this OSU D line. I'm going to say OSU is going to win the league. I think Dylan Gabriel is the offensive player of the year. I think he gets a little bit of a nod for being a newcomer. Um, granted he's not a freshman or anything. I think he's the newcomer of the year. I think he's the offensive player of the year. I think OU beats Oklahoma state in Norman. And I think they face off and I think Oklahoma state wins the league in Dallas come December. Okay. Uh, so there you have it. Those are our picks there. Let's go ahead and run through the big 12 slate of games this week. Uh, this week's slate, uh, beginning on Thursday night, Central Michigan and Oklahoma State. Pokes favored by 21 and a half here. Tom, uh, this one should be, uh, I think, Oklahoma State. I don't know how they start this one, but Mike Gundy going for win number 150. I would think that uh, that they'll finish strong here. Don't know how they look out of the gates, but uh, you know, night game in Stillwater, they should be able to put a, a good second half together. I think Oklahoma State's going to be just fine here. And uh, – I'm not a big Spencer Sanders fan, but I do think that, that they'll establish that run game uh, and really rely on running the football. You know, I think they'll – I think they're going to try to run the football, and, and they have Dominic Richardson, who showed a lot of promise last year. I think he's going to do some things well. Um, Jones, I, I see it two ways. There are two ways I think this game can go. 
Mike Gundy, granted, everybody's gone. Every single player is gone from that 2016 team. There's not a player on that squad that has been around for that that BS heartbreaking loss they had on the hook and ladder in 2016. I think it was the second game of the season for OSU in Stillwater. You know, if, if, if you're old enough or you watch that much Big 12, you can recall that Central Michigan had an untimed down that should not have been. Um, and still to this day, you, you, you hear Central Michigan folks say it too. And Mike Gundy said it too. They Instead of putting 10 and 3 on the Alamo Bowl rings, they put 11 and 2. Mike Gundy has the chip on his shoulder. He's the only one that's really been around. Granted, Casey Dunn, now the offensive coordinator, has been around since then. But And, and a few other of the other coaches, whether it be Rob Glass or some of the other positional coaches, they're not going to forget. I see this game going two ways. Either OSU hangs a decent amount on them in the first half, and you see by the end of the third quarter Gunnar Gundy playing and and potentially throwing his first touchdown. Or OSU starts out like they did last year. They start out slow. They start off rusty. Uh, they may not want to show a whole lot depending on what they want to do. We saw it with Casey Dunn last year in terms of play calling. I think they start out slower, Jones. I do. Um, I think they still get maybe the job done, but um, until I see something different from what we saw last year, I'm very inclined to say that that OSU still could get the job done, but they they haven't blown out a, a G5 team in a while, it seems like. So I'm, I'm hesitant, and that yeah. comes from yeah. Oklahoma State. All right, moving on. West Virginia and uh, Pitts. Uh, we're – We've talked about this game a little bit and uh, the intrigue there, the rivalry coming back. Uh, West Virginia, uh, how excited they are to you know be packing Heinz Field and, and everything with that. But this Pitt team has the highest expectations they've had in a long time, reigning ACC champions here. Uh, Tom, we're, we're in for a treat with this one. Uh, I, I could really see this going either way. This this is going to be a really good ball game. Jones, we talked about it last week. Neil Brown, um, you know, if he's if he's ready to prove something, this is the time. First backyard bowl in ten years. You got JT Daniels in. Uh, he's got a little bit to prove too. This is the time for West Virginia. It is at Pitt. I expect more West Virginia fans than Pitt fans. Um, this is this is an underrated game on the schedule. Yeah, it is. This one's going to be a lot of fun. Friday night, the Kansas Jayhawks taking on Tennessee Tech. KU about a 31-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. I think I have to put money on KU just out of principle because I don't know when they're going to be a 31-and-a-half-point favorite uh, ever again. But Tennessee Tech, very bad team at the FCS level. Uh, fun fact, my old radio station in uh, Lawrence, Kansas, I worked for KLWN. Their ownership group, Great Plains Media, uh, owns radio stations in Lawrence, Kansas, and Cookville, Tennessee, same town as Tennessee Tech. So it's like the Great Plains Media Bowl. Uh, everybody in the old company is uh, going back and forth. So that's a pretty cool in-house thing. With that said, uh, Lance Lightpole is doing an incredible job at Kansas. Um, I think they're going to take another step in the right direction this year. 
Devin Neal is going to be fantastic running the football. Jaden Daniels looks really good at the quarterback position. Uh, still have a ways to go defensively to step up there. But uh, Kansas, I think, is, is going to surprise some people. I think that they're going to make some noise in the Big 12 and make things difficult uh, for a lot of teams this year. This is not the Kansas teams that we've seen the last several years. This team is headed in the right direction and, and uh, I think that they'll have a solid night. I think they'll take care of business and put on a show against uh, Tennessee Tech here, Tom. Yeah, and I think they should. You know, I, I think that this is a game that I wouldn't say sets the tone for the season, but I think for KU and Lance Leopold, they need to, to come out and take care of business. I know that's a cliche term, but um, this is a chance for them to, to start setting the tone for who they want to be. Yes. Um, TCU taking on Colorado also on Friday night. Nine o'clock kick out on the West Coast between those two teams. Uh, actually, rather, they're in Boulder. Uh, TCU going to play three quarterbacks. Um, you know, whether it's Max Duggan or uh, you know, whether it's Chandler Morris. The, the thing I'll say this about TCU, it's, it's unlike other situations at quarterback competitions, Tom, where we talk about these quarterback competitions and you don't know which one's good or not. TCU, I'll say this much, even though I don't like playing multiple quarterbacks in a game, they have a good problem on them. Those guys competing for this job are all good. They're trying to figure out which one's better and which one deserves the job. It's not they're going to throw one out there and somebody's going to struggle here. I mean, it, it's – it's a good problem to have that they have on their hands. I like Chandler Morris a little bit more, but I think they're going to be fine either way, whatever re- direction that they go. What you can't afford is to get your offense out of rhythm and to p- cost you a game potentially like this one against Colorado because you were you know, so inconsistent in quarterback. That's where I worry with TCU. Not about the talent. The talent's there at the quarterback position. It's – going with this shuffle of three quarterbacks here, that's what I worry about for the, the Horn Frogs. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it last week, too, and I asked you, I said, Jones, you'd, you'd like to say if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. We further talked about it and said, well, if you have three quarterbacks, you have negative one. Um, I like Duggan to start, but I, I like what you said about Chandler Morris. I think he's the best one out of the group or eventually will be. And um, I, I think that that's what they should be focused on. I, I, I think Colorado's an early test. And then, um, you know, I, I don't know how Sonny Dykes feels in terms of uh, maybe focusing too much on internal things and not focusing enough on their opponent. Um, that will be remain to be seen. We'll find out this weekend. Yeah, we will. Uh, Iowa State taking on SEMO. Uh, uh, Southeast Missouri State out of Cape Girardeau. Uh, Brock Purdy gone. Charlie Kolar gone. Reese Hall gone. A lot of offensive production to replace, but uh, with some of the weapons there, uh, you know, Deckers, Hutchinson, you know, among others here, uh, you know, Brock, I mean, they, got, they still have some good guys. I mean, I'll say this much, Tom, you know, all those players – that they sent to the NFL this year. Very talented team at Iowa State. 
the guys that were all behind them were much higher recruited than they were. Matt Campbell has taken a big step up. Like those guys, maybe they didn't get the wins against Iowa or some of the Big 12 games they wanted to, but they were cornerstones for building this program. I know it's not going to be easy to replace those guys, but the talent coming in, they're going to see a big step up over these next couple of years based on the foundation that was laid by those future NFL talents they've had over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think they'll be okay. And, and you know, you mentioned kind of building a program or kind of getting to a point where it's it's more of a culture thing or and maybe not a culture thing, but it, uh, a kind of like, well, we do this around here. And I think it might be getting to that point. And, and I think this is the, is I think this is another building block season while not like maybe a big 12 season championship season. Um, I, I do think that this could be, you know, a, a, like I said, a building block season to, to further that culture fit that they want to have. Yeah, I think so. Uh, UTEP and OU, UTEP already lost last week at home to North Texas. Uh, wasn't very pretty either. Oklahoma, first game of the Brent Venables era. Um, there's no excuse for Oklahoma not to win this one big. Um, I don't care that it's Brent's first game or Dylan Gabriel's first game or anything like that. Uh, anything short of OU covering 30 and a half is a disappointment. Uh, there's no reason why Oklahoma shouldn't win this game convincingly. UTEP is just a bad football team uh, all the way around top. I mean, they are, and this is not the UTEP team they faced several years ago that almost upset them. Um, you, you said that they lost to North Texas, and, and you know, I, I, Jones, if they don't, I want your opinion here, if they somehow don't cover 30, let's say if it's a 25- to 28-point ball game, if they, don't, if they don't cover, are we already calling cause for concern? I wouldn't, cause, I wouldn't call cause for, for concern – just yet if they just barely not cover this game. Um, but if it's, if it's 20 or less, if it's 20 or less, then I think we start to raise our eyebrows a bit. Um, but the expectation is that they should win this one convincingly. I don't think that's asking too much. UTEP's not very good. Uh, Baylor taking on Albany. Um, Baylor, you want to talk about getting these guys experience. Here's a good scrimmage for you right now. And Blake Shapin, he's extremely accurate. I'm excited to see what he can put together here. Um, here, here we go for Baylor here. I, I'm, this team, you want to gain experience? Here's your chance right now. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, they, I mean, they have the opportunity in front of them and they really do. And, and, uh, to me, it feels kind of like an OU thing. Like, well, you know, there are a lot of new guys there. You know, specifically, OU has a little bit more newer guys. But at the same time, if you want to keep building on what you had last year, uh, this is one of the games to to do it. You know, this is one of the games to say, well, okay, how good are we? This is a, maybe not the, the first test. Maybe it's, this is the first test of a couple of tests. Um, but I think we're going to find out a, a lot of, are we as good as last year? I don't, I don't know. Right. Right. Um, also in the, uh, big 12, uh, this week, a couple more games to go through here. 
K-State taking on South Dakota, that game at 6 o'clock Saturday night in Manhattan, and the Cats uh, heavily favored. And I got to tell you, I really like Deuce Vaughn. Uh, you know, he has been, I think, just such a, an incredible player and so versatile. Um, you got a new quarterback coming in, you know, football after Scott Thompson got a really good defense there. Um, K-State, I, I think that they can, granted it's South Dakota, but I think you can still send a message to the rest of the league if, uh, if they come out and put a thumping on here, if they're ready to go from day one, no slow starts. Don't make it a close game. I mean, uh, go out there and send a message. I, I think would would uh, would 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 certainly grab some attention around the league. I think so. And you know, uh, Deuce Vaughn is. You know, I, I think he might feel not maybe he doesn't feel disrespect. I don't think to to Bijan Robinson at Texas, but uh, you know, being a, a preseason All American, I think he has some shoes to fill, and and. If not, if he doesn't see competition within, you know, maybe another team in the conference, he should feel competition within himself for the K-State, I guess you could call them ancestors at this point. Um, he should feel the pressure from the former, you know, Darren Sproils. There have been a lot of comparisons made uh, to him. And, and, and for Deuce Vaughn, same stature, same size, same speed. Um, you know, I, I – I think those comparisons are admirable. I think they're correct. I think they're spot f***ing on. And I I think that Deuce Vaughn, um, you know, maybe a little undersized for the league. And I know running backs are smaller, um, but Darren Spoils was smaller. And, and I think this is a huge season, not only for his K-State team, but also for his future. And and I, I think he will – I I – I would expect big things out of him. I think he'll do it. I think he's going to have a great season. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, Texas Tech taking on Murray State. Uh, Patrick Mahomes versus John Morant uh, in this game. Uh, Tom, do, do you know what Murray State's mascot is? The Racers, baby. That is correct. Nice work. Um, That's tickets, the only reason I know that. Tickets are as low as $5 right now for this game if you want to make the trip to Lubbock. Uh, I like football program, though. How much are those tickets? Good question. I don't know. Uh, Compared to KU's. KU's tickets were $15. So, okay, so not too far off. Yeah. Uh, McGuire, his first game as head coach at Texas Tech. Starting a new era there in uh, Lubbock, uh, Tom. Uh, you know this. This is it. This is like starting easy. This is getting your feet wet going up against a Missouri State team out of the Ohio Valley Conference. That's uh, definitely, as an FCS school, way more known for their basketball than anything else. Uh, I don't know how many people knew Murray State even played football. To be honest with you, uh, you know, if I want to be honest with you, I didn't know. I didn't know until that game. I'll be I'll be transparent. I'm not afraid of that. Um, I I thought they'd I figured they'd be like um, the Midwest is Wichita State, but you know if if you want to talk about fictional lore, Wichita State produced Ted Lasso, so um, I won't ever count against a uh, Midwest team. I didn't know how to football team. All right. <laughs> so. 
would uh, – which alum would, uh, would you rather root on here, Mahomes or Ja? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, Memphis and my San Antonio Spurs have a little bit of a rivalry going back to the grit and grind grizzly days. Texas Tech also likes to say Oklahoma State copies them, but Oklahoma State routinely dog walks their ass. Uh, so just for conference play um, and, and Oklahoma State never playing Murray State, um, I'm going to I'm going for Murray State, baby. Let's go racers. <laughs> and I, like they like they say in your uh, other side business, let's go racing. Let's go racing. Yes. Uh, another podcast on the Studios of Box Network. Let's go racing with David Starr. Uh, available now. Uh, Texas and uh, ULM on uh, Tom's favorite TV network, the Longhorn Network. God. Uh, <laughs> Texas heavy favorites against ULM. The Quinn Ewers debut. Tom, um, Quinn Ewers here. Uh, I mean, the dude, he needs to throw for like four touchdowns and 300 plus yards like uh Quinn Ewers after all this the noise with Arch Manning and then the noise about oh you know he he you know barely won the job and all this uh Quinn Ewers just needs to put the haters away just come out with a bang right away yeah he really does and and Jones if if you remember this too at first, I think they declared Arch Manning the starter. Well, and, no, Arch Manning's not even there yet. Or sorry, not Arch Manning. There was another quarterback. My 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 apologies. He wasn't even the starter day one when they announced it. Right, it and was they, a competition, but he didn't end up winning it. Yeah, yeah, he got. They kind of switched it around, and and I'm not Jones. I'm not a believer yet. I, it, you know, some some of the time you need to see some things before you start putting faith in anything, you need to see it. And Texas has given us nothing. They've given us absolutely nothing um, to put faith in. I mean, I mean, Jones, if you want to, if you, if you want to look at it from a, a transitive type of thing, you, well, guess who played in week zero and not necessarily shit the bed by any means, but lost the game. Former Texas quarterback, Casey Thompson, and Nebraska, you know, you know, what, what, what type of faith am I supposed to put in uh, a, a team that even if your ex quarterback leaves for, you know, even a, even a job like Nebraska, which is, you know, historically good and then loses on, on international turf to, to a team like Northwestern that I wouldn't say didn't have any business beating them, but uh, they choked the game away. Um, and, and maybe that wasn't Casey Thompson's fault, but yeah, you know, I think more on Scott Frost than onside kick, but he, he you didn't know, matters anyway. You know, once a Texan, always a Texan, and um, once who knows? Nebraska, always Nebraska, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's you know, they don't grow corn in Nebraska, and they don't, you know, maybe they do some things in Texas that they would do in Nebraska, but um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't. I'm done, Jones. I'm done giving Texas the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to do it. Got to earn it. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, with that, uh, there's your look around the uh, Big 12 Conference for week number one this week. Still more to come. Plenty to get to ahead. Stay with us. 
Joining us now on the Jones Report this week, he covers the Big 12 Conference, also Kansas State, and got a great YouTube channel, also doing stuff with KC Sports Network, and a former radio host in Manhattan, Kansas as well. John Kurtz joins us. And, uh, John, it is a pleasure to always talk to you, my man. And and I got to tell you, uh, I've been watching the YouTube channel a lot and what you're doing, man. I mean, it's uh, – it's a tough field out there when you got these, you know, people like Stuart Mandel and Paul Feinbaum, these others just continuing to go after this league, but you're providing a, uh, a voice, man. So uh, I think a lot of Big 12 fans, uh, thank you for your work. It's been uh, great stuff, man. It's much needed in uh, the future of this league. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that a lot. And that was kind of the idea, you know, when it first really got up and going is it was just a, it was a crime of passion, so to speak. I was just passionate about the league, didn't want to see it die, and seemed like everybody was ready to dance on the grave of the Big 12 a year ago. And so that just spawned kind of a whole community of people that felt the same way. So it's been really cool to see how it's grown. I feel very fortunate to see how it's grown and appreciate uh, everybody that's been along the way and supporting it. Yeah, that's been great. And uh, with that, John, we'll have plenty of football that we'll, we'll touch on for the upcoming Big 12 season. It's about to start here. But with the realignment front, I know you've been covering it as well as anybody in the Big 12. Where do things stand right now? This this conference, as you mentioned, was left for dead about this time a year ago, and now uh, seems like they're in good shape going forward. What's uh, what's expansion look like for this league right now, you think? Yeah, it's a really interesting time because there's turned into basically I've been calling it kind of like a cold war between the, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 in terms of survival, and it felt like really the way all this is going, if there are going to be two major leagues in the Big Ten and the SEC eventually, you've got to kind of kill or be killed if you want to be left around as one of the others besides that. And So as soon as you saw USC and UCLA bolt for the Big Ten, there was the immediate thought, hey, now's your time to go pick off some schools from the Pac-12. Now, initial kind of panic period when, uh, when something like that happens, and I think the Big 12 experienced the same thing. There's a period of a couple weeks right after it happens it's all panic nobody knows what's going on everybody's trying to fight for their best option um the pac-12 has kind of settled in but the real dynamics of play now are what happens with the tv contract that the pac-12 is able to get they had an advantage of being the only uh league of the two that was in negotiations actually right now for their tv deal because it comes up earlier but that's the big news yesterday, Brett, your market, the Big 12 are, are now entering the same kind of discussions with Fox and ESPN themselves, or at least are going to start soon. Brett McMurphy reported that would start next week. And that's huge because now the Big 12 could go and potentially get concrete answers as to what their TV contract would be worth. So you could then show that to the four corner schools in the Pac-12 that have been rumored with the Big 12, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah. You would have tangible numbers to show them, hey, this is what you can make if you come to our conference as opposed to just having to give speculative numbers. Well, the Pac-12 would have real numbers. And so that's the advantage of what the, the news that came out yesterday is really for the conference. It's an aggressive move by your Mark. He has said, hey, we're open for business. He seems very aggressive and very ready to pounce on Pac-12 schools if he can. I know Mike Gundy did a press conference the other day where he said he was shocked by the amount of knowledge that Brett Yormark had on every single Pac-12 school, not just Big 12 school. So that certainly appears to be where the Big 12 is looking, but it's going to come down to whether or not the Pac-12's TV deal is in the same ballpark as the Big 12s, and if Oregon and Washington feel confident enough to sign away their grants of rights for any amount of time 
to stay together with the Pac-12 because I, I continue to feel like that will be the most difficult part of that whole exercise for that league and not enough has been made out of it. So um, those are kind of the dynamics right now. Can the Pac-12 put together a TV deal good enough to keep those schools away from the Big 12 or keep Oregon and Washington away from the Big 10 or, or trying to find out some other plan uh, of action besides staying in a Pac-12 that may not give them very much money on a year-by-year basis. Yeah, John, it, it's fascinating to see uh, this, how it's all unfolding here. And although nothing's happened since the USC-UCLA deal, obviously there's some stuff going on behind the scenes. I, might, I think Mike Gundy in that press conference put it best this week saying when nothing's happening, that means people are talking and there's probably business being done uh, along those lines there. So with that said, I mean, the obvious favorites to join the league have been those four corner schools, uh, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado. But from, you know, what I've heard and what you've talked about, too, Arizona seems to be the, the team of that bunch that likes the Big 12 most. Is there a scenario, you think, where Arizona goes by themselves or maybe even takes like a San Diego state or something with them to the big 12, that they go without the four, four corner schools, or is it a take all four or take none situation? How, how does that work uh, here with Arizona kind of leading the way? It seems. Yeah. I think there are two calculations on that. One, would the big 12 take just Arizona or Arizona and San Diego state as a, as a travel partner? I would imagine that the answer to that would be yes, because I think just any blow that you can deliver to the Pac-12 right now, a league that's already on pretty shaky footing, is going to help you out. Uh, so even if it's not a total knockout blow, if you take Arizona and then San Diego State, which is obviously the number one expansion candidate for either league, but also the Pac-12, you're, you're also hurting the Pac-12 by doing that and getting into Southern California TV market. And we saw just how even if it's not a ton, like UCLA, what, what do they really bring from the LA TV market or the Southern California TV market? Probably not a ton, but it was still worth enough to throw in with USC uh, instead of an Oregon or Washington. So we know that TV execs feel like that market is very, very valuable. So there is some value in, in that for the Big 12. Also, another reason I think you do it if you're the Big 12 is it gives you more inventory in the late time slot. That, that's been the other advantage everybody's talked about with the Pac-12 is that they can do Pac-12 after dark which rates very well because there's not much other competition from power five games, if any at all um, in those time slots. So you're almost guaranteed a million plus, no matter who it is that's playing in that game, because everybody will kind of flip it on at the end of a, a college football Saturday. Well, now if you have two more schools in that time zone, you can throw more games along with BYU. You'd have three teams that can give you some more inventory there, and that's going to increase value on your TV contract. So I think that's another reason that you would do it. Uh, I guess the question would be, would, would Arizona – really ever do that if they have nobody else going with them and is there a scenario where the dollar amount maybe is just enough more a couple million dollars more at the big 12 and it's enough for arizona but not enough for everybody else um i suppose that scenario probably could exist uh, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure how all of that would go down also there's always the political angle to consider like the the two schools you know with the the government of arizona allow both schools to split up. I, I don't know 100% what the answer would be on that front either. But, yes, short answer, yes, I do think that possibility exists. Um, but it does feel more likely to me that it would be a scenario where there's going to be – I feel like it would take a pretty big difference in what the two TV deals are going to look like uh, to get those four-corner schools to make the move. Now, the Big 12 seems to be very confident in that because I don't think you would come out and publicly say, hey, 
we're talking with TV networks right now, unless you felt pretty bullish about what the numbers are going to say, because if you if they don't say what you want them to say, you're going to have some egg on your face and it'll be a pretty bad look. Um, so I'm guessing the Big 12 feels like they have enough ammo there to, to pull the four schools or eventually will. Um, but it could. It could wind up just being Arizona, San Diego State. And that's a, that is something I would support, by the way, if the Big 12 were to just do that. I, oh, yeah, I would too. If that's what they have to do, that's fine with me. And, and, and for me, John, it, it comes down to two things. When I look at comparing the Big 12 and the Pac-12, you know, I, I hear from Stuart Mendel and these others that want to do all this PR spin work for the Pac-12 about, you know, the, the traditional powers that they may have or, you know, the, the Pac-12 after dark that they may offer. Well, I mean, the Big 12 is about to be able to offer more TV windows than anyone else in, you know, all four time zones, potentially if you add, um, you know, those Arizona schools or San Diego State, you know, the uh, Pacific time zone for part of the year. Um, and, and then, you know, not to mention the, the play on the football field has been better from the those Big 12 schools compared to the Pac-12 schools as of late. Um, and, and, and the passion for it. I mean, people like me, you, you know, others at this, this conference, John, uh, I mean, there's care more, I mean, quite frankly, about college football in this sport than, than what goes on on the West Coast. I mean, the passion here, okay, it might not be the SEC level, but I sure would – uh, I, I would rather tailgate with these Big 12 fans than these uh, these West Coast elites of sorts. You know, I mean, to me, it seems like that there's so many things to the Big 12's advantage that are that are being uh, discounted or, or or undermined here compared to the Pac-12. Yeah, and I, I think Brent Yormark is going to be the type of guy to really know how to to sell and market that and take the most advantage of that as he possibly can. I think that's what's really exciting to me about him <clears throat> and of course your mark the new big 12 commissioner um the, a guy who at one point oversaw the the largest deal in north american sports history and bringing nascar over to uh, i believe it was nextel at the time um and then also oversaw bringing the nets from new jersey to brooklyn which is no small task at all and of course the addition of the uh, work that he did with rock nation with jay-z and company too um the guy has a, a really impressive resume and everybody says it's just a marketing whiz so I, I trust him to be able to get the most out of those advantages that you said. There, there is a ton of passion. I mean, this may be a small thing, but, I, you know, Fox College Sports or Fox College Football's Twitter account over the past couple of weeks have been doing a, a fan vote national championship, basically, like a 64-team bracket tournament. Texas Tech won the thing. So Texas Tech fans have been making their voice heard in that, and uh, I think they've done a good job of that over the last year, going back to some of the Chris Beard stuff during basketball season. Like, yeah, you – you've been able to see throughout all this just how much it really means to everybody in the Big 12. For instance, the, the whole Pac-12 Cold War, what's being fought and waged on Twitter, is really a, a couple of Pac-12 reporters against Big 12 Twitter. I mean, it's not like Pac-12 right. Twitter is a thing that's out there that like these fans are really coming after the Big 12. There's not much of that. It, it's, it's the entire, it seems like, Big 12 fan base going at a couple of writers and they're the ones that are having to stick up for the Pac-12 because there are not passionate enough fans to do that. So that that has really been the frustrating thing in, in all of it to me, but uh, also can definitely be an advantage because I think, you know, the TV numbers that have been thrown out there, if you just take raw numbers from the last five to 10 years, it looks like the Pac-12 generates more viewership, but there, there's context that needs to be applied to that. Oh, it doesn't that tell the whole story. Yeah, it's, it's, Stuart Mandel's written a couple of stories that are really frustratingly uh, lacking context to me. 
and uh, and Sam Bradshaw from Sikkim 365 has done a great job twice in going through and providing the context about the window that those games are in and then the network that those games are on because it just that, that makes all the difference in the world. And the Pac-12 being in that after-dark slot that has really boosted their numbers because there's no competition there. Well, if all of a sudden you had enough schools, you had four corner schools in the Big 12 and you could provide those windows for Big 12 schools where now you've got Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, K-State, Iowa State playing in these windows – that the viewership is going to go up un- undoubtedly because you just have so many more people that care and are passionate about it within those fan bases. And I would still argue mean more nationally as well uh, because the Pac-12 has been so irrelevant on the national scene from just a competitive standpoint, college football in the last five to 10 years, once again. So yeah, I think the big 12 has some advantages to play up there and that's where I really feel good about the hire that they've made a commissioner to uh, accentuate those as much as possible. Last thing uh, on this, and then uh, we'll talk about the play on the field itself. Uh, when it comes to this TV contract uh, of them opening up negotiations, that's just an exclusive window with Fox and ESPN right now. That kind of tells me, John, that the Big 12 is not waiting around, that they would probably like to stay with those TV partners. The idea of your Amazons or others of the world, that sounds intriguing, but that might not work necessarily with the Big 12's timeline here, what do you think of these uh, Big 12 TV negotiations where uh, where they're headed right now? Yeah, that, that's an interesting thought because uh, I think right now it's all about Fox and ESPN, obviously, and trying to um, mitigate whatever advantage the Pac-12 would have there. And, and so there may still be a piece of this where, hey, the Big 12 can get numbers from Fox and or ESPN and what they would be interested in and then still have some of the second or third tier rights available if they wanted to go that route to try and find a streaming partner there. Um, I, I do get the feeling the the deeper we go into this that, and Brett Yormark really spoke to this actually at Big 12 Media Days, that while streaming is going to be a part of this and a part of the future, it, we may not quite be at the point yet. It may be another round, another cycle before we're getting to like, hey, the, the top tier rights are going to be bought by Apple or Amazon. Um, in other words, like your best games will be on streaming with, with Apple or Amazon. Right now, it still does mean a great bit to be on uh, the traditional like over the air um, cable, so to speak. So, right. It, it I mean, may be, it, yeah, maybe everyone wants to point to the NFL, you know, putting Thursday night football on Amazon. Well, that was their equivalent of third tier rights was Thursday night football. Correct. Correct. Exactly. So, you know, they're kind of dipping their toe in the water. I think it's more like as society gets more and more to the point where it's streaming based more and more people start to leave uh cable then then that can be a bigger deal but you still very clearly need a presence um in, in that in that sort of space i mean look at the big 10 like the big 10 went hard with nbc cbs um just network tv that still does matter a lot in this world even even as much as you want to think that there are creative solutions out there so i think really yeah the ultimate objective here is going to be to get something quick because I know the talk from Pac-12 country, if you're reading John Canzano and John Wilner, um, the guys that have really covered it in depth for the Pac-12, but albeit with a Pac-12 slant, but they've all talked about like, hey, don't expect anything before Labor Day, but after that, you know, we could start to hear something about a Pac-12 deal. Well, obviously that's that's happening here within the next week or so. So uh, I would guess it's going to be pretty expedited here in the Big 12 trying to get, hey, what would our number be? And what would our number be if we add these four schools so we can go take them to there. And the other interesting part, too, is, I mean, Dennis Dodd has people have speculated about this, but Dennis Dodd gave voice to it yesterday that um, a part of the negotiation right now could be discussing Texas and Oklahoma leaving early. Like, would giving 
ESPN Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC a season early entice them to give the Big 12 a better TV deal, which could then lead to the Big 12 having a better shot to post the Pac-12. Is that a bargaining chip that's being used right now? And it sounds like the answer is yes, or at least there are preliminary discussions about all of that. So a lot could sort out. There are still, I think, some some real eye-catching things that could happen here in the, the first month or two of football season. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the play on the field this year, John, uh, three Big 12 members inside the top 12 of the AP poll with uh, – uh, Oklahoma, Baylor, and, and uh, Oklahoma State there. What do you think about uh, about this conference uh, going into 2022 uh, of the uh, chances of potentially having a playoff team? Is there is there a playoff team there, or is this uh, a year where the Big 12 is on the outside looking in? I hate to say it, but it feels to me like a, a year where they're on the outside looking in because it just feels like such a wide-open league. Um, and, and obviously Oklahoma is a huge part of that. I get the feeling Oklahoma takes a bit of a step back. I kind of foresee a nine and three sort of season for them there. I just, I know Oklahoma fans hate Lincoln Riley. I'm pretty high on him. I think he's a, an elite coach. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Um, I also think Caleb Williams was an elite quarterback. I'm not quite as sure about Dylan Gabriel. And look, as a K State guy, I mean, look, Brent Venables, K State guy, uh, played at K State, coached at K State. Uh, many people wanted him to be the head coach at K State, but I think it's a little bit of a different animal being at, uh, at Oklahoma and taking over. So, I think because of the uncertainty there, it just opens it wide. And Baylor and Oklahoma State both played for the Big 12 title last year, but they suffered some pretty big losses. I mean, Baylor personnel-wise, particularly some of the guys that they had on defense, they also lost the leading rusher in the league. Um, they're still really still going to have a really good head coach, and I, I like the upside of their quarterback, but those were some pretty big hits that they took from a personnel standpoint. And Oklahoma State lost Jim Knowles, who – Look, I, I would have put up against any defensive coordinator in the country last year for the job that he did. Uh, I believe they were the number three defense in, in the country. And uh, Derek Mason's a good hire to, to come back, but I don't know if he's going to be Jim Knowles. They don't have Malcolm Rodriguez, who was the leader of that defense. Uh, Spencer Sanders is still pretty enigmatic up and down as a quarterback. It's just there, there's not like a real favorite that pops out at you. Texas, tons of talent, but their, their fall camp has been a mess. Already losing two guys for the year. They have another one suspended. Weird situation with Quinn Ewers where Sark felt the need to awkwardly interject into a press conference to say that Ewers was the starter when there were rumors he was being outplayed by Hudson Card. I, I don't know. It just still seems like the same mess going on there at Texas. And, look, I think K-State has a chance to be in that conversation for the Big 12 title. They have more first-team All-Big 12 selections preseason than anybody. They've got multiple All-American candidates uh, on both sides of the ball. And I really believe in Adrian Martinez being much better. And I think Nebraska's season opener would lend some credence to that. That uh, he certainly was not the problem at Nebraska. So uh, I think there are going to be a lot of teams, everybody I just mentioned, they're competing up at the top and probably beat, beat each other up. And I would imagine that you're going to wind up with a league champ who has two losses, uh, which obviously is not going to get you into the college football playoffs. So it'll make for a really fun and intriguing year in the Big 12. And selfishly, as a K-State fan, I think that opens up more of an opportunity for, for the Cats to have a chance to get to Arlington. But I don't think it means good things for the Big 12 getting into the playoff. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that, uh, John. I, I'd agree with you on that one. Uh, the quarterback play, I've asked several people this question, and I feel like I get a different answer every time, John, of who the best quarterback is in this league. What say you? Who is the, the, the guy that you would turn to? I, I think quarterback play is going to be better this year, but I don't know which one stands out among the rest. Well, that's a good question, man, because I – 
I mean, Quinn Ewers has the most hype of anybody, but again, the word out of Texas was that he was having a hard time beating Hudson Card in, in uh, fall camp, and Hudson Card couldn't even beat out Casey Thompson most of the year last year for Texas. Uh, Baylor, I love the potential of Blake Shapin. He played really well in a game late in the year in Manhattan last year, but he really has to go out and prove it. Spencer Sanders was, you know, he's your returning first team All Big 12 quarterback, but that felt almost by default last year, and he is still so turnover prone at times. I just, he, he makes me nervous and I worry about taking care of the football enough. Um, Iowa State lost Brock Purdy. Um, K State lost Skylar Thompson, both guys that made 53 man rosters um, this week uh, in the NFL. I mean, I'm inclined to think Adrian Martinez has a really high ceiling at K-State, but I think it's a it's a pretty homer pick if you're going to go Adrian Martinez there as, as number one. West Virginia brings in JT Daniels. I mean, there are so many intriguing names here. JT Daniels started at USC, uh, obviously was at Georgia, and a lot of people wanted him to play instead of Stetson Bennett last year. Um, but can he stay healthy and can he stay consistent in a West Virginia uniform with an offense that hasn't been very good under Neil Brown? Um, there's just, there's not a situation that jumps out to me as like, bam, this guy is the best. So I really don't know. I guess as I talk it through, I mean, Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma, Dylan Gabriel had a pretty nice career at UCF and he's working with Jeff Levy, who is a well-respected offensive coordinator, but man, I I mean, to me, I I would just by default say Spencer Sanders, I guess he's the returning first team, all big 12 guy. He did have a really great game in the Fiesta Bowl. Maybe he's turned a corner, but I would not feel very good about that answer in, in telling it to you. I certainly would not uh, have anybody taking that to the bank this year. Right, right. I, I'm I'm really intrigued with JT Daniels after not having things work out at USC and then also at Georgia and you know sitting on the sidelines is Stetson Bennett, who was not a good quarterback, leads Georgia to a national title last year. To me, that's a guy that you know, I mean, he's got to be good getting to those schools and being a former five-star quarterback and everything. I mean, we're finally going to figure out if JT Daniels is the guy or not. I mean, because that, that West Virginia team, Neil Brown, you mentioned the hot seat and everything. To me, that's the guy that intrigues me that could really, uh, I mean, turn out to be maybe the best quarterback in this league. And, and we'll, we'll find out here pretty quickly. I mean, it, it's not a deal like Georgia or USC where he had got, he has guys with pressure behind him. Uh, it's 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 his job for the making. It's his opportunity to make the most of it. Yeah, West Virginia fans are, are very bullish on this, and kind of their strategy. It seems like this year is they hit the portal so hard. Now they lost a lot of guys to the portal, but they also hit the portal really hard, seemingly with an idea of like, hey, our jobs are on the line. So I think looking at West Virginia's roster, there be some questions beyond this year, but. Uh, West Virginia fans and media who are around it are pretty bullish on what they've put together, at least for this one year run. So they, they feel like there's enough infrastructure there for JT Daniels. We'll see. He's just based on how his career has gone. He is definitely a, Hey, you've got to, you've got to prove that to me. I need to, to see that before I believe it. Right. Right. Uh, a couple more things. And then uh, we'll let you run here, uh, John. Uh, let me ask you about week one here. What uh, what games stand out to you? What are you intrigued to uh, see uh, this weekend in, in the Big 12 Conference? I am fired up for tonight watching West Virginia and Pitt. Um, what an awesome rivalry. Um, reading some stories earlier this week about that 13-9 to game that ruined West Virginia's national championship hopes. Uh, just how much better hatred there is between these two that have not played in a while now because of the, the conference realignment and how everything's happened. Um, extremely excited to watch that game. And, and just what we talked about. How is JT Daniels going to look like? What is he going to look like as, as he opens up the season there? 
Um, a game that I think could be tricky and interesting is TCU at Colorado. And I know Colorado has been terrible and probably will be bad this year, but TCU, new coach, I thought a fairly underwhelming hire. They're going on the road and they're two touchdown favorites. So it, I, I don't know if, if you're a betting man out there, at least earlier in the week, the line was 14. I did see it slide to 13 and a half yesterday. But man, if you could get that at 14, um, I love that. I love that pick. So that would be very intriguing. And, you know, selfishly, just uh, K-State, you know, Adrian Martinez is another, I think, even to, to outsiders, really intriguing storyline for the year. What What is this dude going to look like? Is it going to be the same turnover-prone uh, quarterback that he was at Nebraska, or does having a much better offensive line, much better running back, much better head coach uh, really make a big difference for him? So even just seeing how he looks, I think, will be one of the other things I'm I'm really looking at in the, the Big 12. And then, hey, I mean, there's been so much talk about Kansas. Uh, a lot of people think that Lance Leipold is – the dude and ready to propel this team forward in a big way this year. So how are they going to start the season? Will it be a sluggish starter? Are they going to take advantage of some of these games in the non-con that they will need to, I think to, to take, I would look at it like if they can get to four wins, that's a pretty major step forward. And uh, if they're going to get there, they're going to have to play well to start the season. So yeah, just off the top of my head, I would, I would rattle some of those off as things that I'm really looking forward to this weekend. Okay. Last question. Then we'll uh, go on this, John. Uh, we mentioned uh, playoff ideas. You said that you don't think there's a Big 12 team that makes the playoff. Who wins the league, though, in a very competitive year here? It's it's a, sort of a cop-out answer, but I've, I've been going just with Baylor um, in spite of everything that they do lose. And, and it's mainly because I, I really believe in Dave Aranda. I, I think Dave Aranda is the best coach in the league. I, I think he's phenomenal. Um and I, I just love his whole demeanor and attitude. And Baylor also is a place that just has what I would call like championship DNA still around the program because they've been to the Big 12 championship now under three different coaches, been to or won a Big 12 championship under three different coaches within the last decade, obviously with our Bryles a couple of times and then Matt Rule. And now they've proven they can do it again with another coach in, in Dave Aranda. And they are so sturdy on the offensive and defensive lines. And I think you can definitely build around that. I trust Aranda to get their defense figured out, even losing Jalen Petrie and some of the studs that they had back there. And then Shapin, I, I think they picked the better of the two quarterbacks, at least in terms of ceiling. I think Shapin has a, a higher ceiling than Gary Bohannon. So as the year moves on, I would expect him to get better and better. And uh, ultimately, I think that will have been the right choice. So I I'm going to go Baylor, but it's – you can make a case for like five or six teams right now being that that team this year in the Big 12. Yeah, I think you're right about that. John, uh, we got to go. Appreciate you joining us, man. Where can people uh, follow you and check out the YouTube channel and everything, man? Yeah, just find me on YouTube. It's just John Kurtz, J-O-H-N-K-U-R-T-Z. We've got a great uh, – uh, great family of people there, 14,000-plus um, Big 12 fans. So you'll find a really great community of people who love the league uh, on that channel. You can also, if you want K-State-specific content, I do a, a podcast on the KC Sports Network called 3MA, uh, 3-M-A-W, if you want to find that wherever you get your podcasts. And then, uh, of course, follow me on Twitter as well, J.L. Kurtz, if you want uh, more minute-by-the-minute content. Awesome stuff. John, thanks for joining us, man. We'll tuck in down the line. All right. Sounds great, Tyler. Thanks, man. <laughs> Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. You can also reach out to Bo by email, brian.o'connor at lpl.com. That's brian with a y.o'connor at lpl.com. He's also the host of the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every Monday and Friday. 
on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And he joins us right now. Bo, good to have you with us, my friend. Uh, what's going on? Hey, not much. I got a little bit of a summertime cold. I got a little throat, scratchy throat, so bear with me as we go through this today. But uh, yeah, doing all right. You know, we're staying busy here at O'Connor Advisory Group. Always willing to help out if you have financial questions. We're working on some new things. And right now, believe it or not, we're already planning for 2023. 2023 still seems like a long ways away for me, but yeah. uh, I'm it, glad it, that people were there. We're in September now, and it's 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 a real thing trying to plan that far in advance. That's what we have to do. So yeah, we want to be your partner. Doing OAG, exciting things next year. OAGKS.com, AccountAdvisorGroup.com. Bo, uh, we begin the return of the pigskin pick'em, uh, and I am the defending champ this year uh, after an impressive record of a near 60% winning percentage. I will try to go back to back again. And uh, you and Tom will try to take me down in the process. And uh, so the, how we will do this each and every week, folks, we will pick 10 games, no NFL games this week, obviously. So we're going to pick all 10 college games next week. We'll pick five NFL games and five college games. We'll do that all the way through as long as we can. And uh, all the way to the Super Bowl. So it begins this week, and we'll go all the way till the uh, beginning of February. So our uh, slate of games this week, Bo, we have number two Notre Dame versus number or number five Notre Dame versus number two Ohio State. Ohio State favored eleven and a half. Number three Georgia versus number three Oregon. Georgia favored by seventeen. Number twenty-three Cincinnati at number nineteen Arkansas. Arkansas favored by six. Number seven, Utah, taking on Florida. Utah favored by seven. West Virginia versus Pittsburgh, the number 17 team in the land. Pitt favored seven and a half. Florida State taking on LSU. LSU favored by three. That game in New Orleans. Penn State taking on Peru. Penn State favored three and a half. Boise State taking on Oregon State. Oregon State favored by three. Louisville taking on Syracuse. Louisville favored four and a half. TCU taking on Colorado. TCU a 13 and a half point favorite. So that is the slate this week. And uh, Thomas Bridges is here with us as well. We will uh, go through the slate of games and uh, get our picks in right now. So, Bo, let's get started. The very first game on the slate, Notre Dame, Ohio State, with Ohio State favored 17 and a half. What do you think here? That's a big number. You got Notre Dame with the new coach and new situation, and Ohio State with the Heisman favorite and number two rank going into the kind of the thing. Um, I have Ohio state as a playoff team this year. So I'm, I'm taking Ohio state. That's a big number. That, that number scares me, but I think Notre Dame is bad. I don't think Notre Dame is going to be very good. I mean, they're going to lose. They're only going to lose two games, but they're going to be both the front end and the back end. And uh, I'll take Ohio state here. I'm going to go with uh, with Notre Dame to cover uh, this week, Bo. Uh, I, I think 17 and a half is just too many points for me. And that Ohio State defense, I know they have a new defensive coordinator, uh, but that Ohio State defense was really bad last year. And I could see Ohio State winning convincingly, but still not cover that margin. I'm going to go with Notre Dame, too many points. Tom, how about you? Think about that. Notre Dame has a new coach that just kind of got his start. Jim Knowles is just trying to get a start at Ohio State. And then you have, you know, if you want to even – I know things change, but 
last year, Oregon, you know, Ohio State, not Oregon State, sorry, Ohio State got it handed to them. Um, I think it's too many points. I, I could, I could, you know, Vegas is usually always right. This could come down to a half point. So you're going with Notre Dame here. All right. Uh, so two for Notre Dame, one for Ohio State. Georgia and Oregon. Georgia favored by 17, the defending national champions. And uh, taking on uh, an Oregon team coached by Georgia's old defensive coordinator, Dan Lanning, the new head coach at Oregon. What do you think about uh, this one here, Bo? I think this is a big number, too. And so it's one of those where I was on Ohio State laying the number. Here I'm taking Oregon plus the number. Biggest difference for me from Georgia between this year and one year ago is all the losses of players on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they lost, I mean, what essentially I think was the best defense I've ever seen at the collegiate level. And they had seven of them going to pros. I just think it'll be a closer game. I think Georgia wins the game, but I think Oregon keeps it within 17. Okay. Uh, so you've got Oregon uh, covering uh, that one. I am going to ride with Georgia, the defending champs. Uh, Stetson Bennett shocked me down the stretch last year. That offense with Todd Munkin as their OC was really good. And that defense, uh, I know they lost a lot, but remember their second teamers were even really good last year. Uh, Georgia's going to be phenomenal again. I'm going with Georgia to cover. How about you, Tom? Sorry, I couldn't get myself off mute. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to agree with Bo a little bit. They haven't, they haven't really replaced anybody, but Jones, you are also right that, you know, Georgia had some second stringers that are, I think will step up and, and be that team. Um, and, and I'm not too convinced on Oregon. Um, and I, I think Georgia pulls it out. You know, if this was 18 points or 17 and a half, I, I think a, a lot of times Vegas gets it right. I think they get it right right here. Okay. So, uh, so far, uh, we got some uh, disagreement. It's uh, me and Tom versus Bode at this point. Yeah. Cincinnati taking on Arkansas. Arkansas at home favored by six. Bo, a uh, really good game here between a uh, playoff team from last year and a uh, – Power five team in Arkansas that's got the highest expectations they've had in a long time with the Hogs favored by six at home. Yeah, I tell you, this is a this is a tough one. Um, you know, Cincinnati lost a little bit, you know, coming from their playoff team last year. And I don't know that any team, there's very few teams that progressed from the beginning to the end better than Arkansas did last year. I really like what Coach Pittman's doing there. Um I'm taking Arkansas. I think they're a surprise pick overall in the SEC West. I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be a really tough out for a lot of teams. I tend to like what I see there, so I'm going to take Arkansas and lay the six here. Uh, I will uh, woo pig as well. I'm going with the uh, Hogs here. Bo and I agree for the first time. Uh, Cincinnati lost a lot from last year, from Desmond Ritter to Kobe Bryant to uh, Sauce, Sauce Gardner. Gardner. Yeah. Um, Cincinnati would still be a good team, but they're not going to be close to what they were last year. Lost too much uh, there. I think Arkansas has a really good year this year. They win, they win cover at home. Good game, but Arkansas gets it done in the fourth quarter. How about you, Tom? Jones, Bo, I, I think Arkansas gets it done big. 
I, I'm going to predict not only the spread, I'm going to say Arkansas wins by at least 20. Whoa. I don't think, I don't think Cincinnati, I think they're going to have a hangover year. Like you guys already mentioned, all the people that they lost. You know, I, I, I think that Sauce Gardner, he got that new deal with Buffalo Wild Wings, and I think a lot of Cincinnati fans are going to be watching from B-dubs and uh, drown their sorrows in the $4 Bud Lights. <laughs> all right, so we'll all agree on the Hogs. Number seven, Utah taking on Florida in the Urban Meyer Bowl. Utah favored by three. Bo, uh, who you picking uh, as this game honors uh, your favorite coach? Oh, man, this is a tough one. I I want to go Florida, and I like Billy Napier. It's the first game of the year, but Utah's talented. They return a lot of players. I'm going to take Utah here, and I, I think this is going to be a little more than three. Um, I just think that Florida could be one of those teams later in the year that might be good, but I think Utah is going to get their number here early. I like Utah a lot. I like what they have on defense, uh, what they bring back offensively, too. I think Utah is going to win the Pac-12. I have them making the playoff as well. I'm all in on the Utes, and uh, they take care of Florida, and uh, they do it for Urban, and uh, get it done. Give me a Utah <laughs> to win and cover. Tom, who do you got here? Yeah, I got the Utes, too, baby. Um, you know, I, I think that that close loss to Ohio State last year, I think that's probably inspired the rest of them. And uh, watch out. I, I said it on Twitter last year. You can go back and look. I said the college football playoffs, very lucky that Utah's not in it because they were very dangerous. Granted, the loss to Ohio State, Utah's come and look for revengeance. West Virginia and pick. The, the uh, backyard brawl is back coming up uh, tonight with uh, Pitt as a seven-and-a-half-point favorite and uh, two familiar quarterbacks – uh, Slovis uh, on one side getting the start for Pitt and uh, JT Daniels getting the start for West Virginia. Both of them were at USC at the same time, and now they're rivals here. Bo, good game to start the season. Pitt favored seven and a half. What do you think? I like West Virginia. I, I, I'm not sure I'm sold on Pitt at all right now. This is one of those games I don't have a great feel for, but I like JT Daniels. and. I like West Virginia. I think seven and a half is a good number. If you give me a touchdown and the hook, I'll take it. Um, this one for me, Bo, I'm going to go with uh, West Virginia here as well. Seven and a half, too many points here. I think Pitt is the better team, and there's high hopes. We heard you know, Desmond Howard even pick him to make the playoff, even as ridiculous as that was. Um, this is the best they've been coming into a year in quite some time. Pitt wins, but I'll take West Virginia to cover. Tom, who do you got? I'm going to take the points, and I'm going to take West Virginia to win. This is this is Neil Brown's time. This is JT Daniels' time. Country Roads, take me home. Okay. So far, uh, Tom and I agree on every game at this point. Uh, Florida State taking on LSU this game in New Orleans. We all know it's a home game for LSU, just getting to play in the Superdome. They're favored by three. Bo, uh for as too big of brands this game is, uh, this is this game's not getting a whole lot of attention uh, for as big of programs these guys are. Yeah, we have Florida State has been down for a couple of years now, and then LSU, you know, this is my school. 
you know, they've had a couple of, had a rough couple of years since they won the national title. They do bring in um, Brian Kelly and there's some excitement in, in and around Baton Rouge about this team. They're unranked, which is to me, it's just, um, it's an oversight, if you will. I like LSU. I mean, I'm homer going to take LSU no matter what, but I think LSU's going to win this game in a big way and put a big message on the board that the Tigers are back and this is going to be a good team. Mike Norvell cannot coach. Um, he will be out of there before the season. Deion Sanders will be the next head coach at Florida State. Let's get the rumors started right away. LSU wins and LSU wins big. Uh, I got them uh, taking care of business here covering that three. How about you, Tom? Yeah, LSU gets too much credit for their past. Um, you know, LSU should roll, and if they don't, big trouble in Baton Rouge. So I got I got the Tigers. Cool Tigers. All right, three for three on LSU. Penn State and Purdue. Uh, this game is uh, Fox's kickoff game. And a fun fact, they were given this game in the Joe Buck trade. Fox uh, ESPN got Joe Buck. Fox got Penn State, Purdue. Uh, Penn State favored by a three and a half. What do you think here, Bo? I I tend to think that number's small. I don't. I mean, Purdue is supposed to be better this year than they have been. Um, I really don't know much about them, but I just can't think that Purdue's keeping this game within three and a half points. I'll, I'll take Penn State here. I'll go uh, Penn State here too. I think Penn State is kind of under the radar. James Franklin uh, maybe hasn't done a good a job as he could have the last couple of years. They need a bounce back year. Penn State three and a half wins and covers. Tom, who do you got? Won't be shocked if Purdue pulls this off. I really won't. Um, betting purposes, I'm going to take Penn State. Happy Valley, baby. Okay. So we all go three for three on uh, Penn State. Next game on the slate. Boise State, Oregon State, Oregon State favored by three in Corvallis. What do you think, Bo? I like Boise here, and I don't have a feel for this at all. I'm just taking some points. Um, you know, first, I think that first week of the season, it's so hard to prognosticate who's good, who's not, and you don't know what's going to happen. So I'm going to take a team that's fairly well coached every year and going to get some points on the road. I'll take Boise. I'll, uh, I'll go with Boise State here as well. I know that Oregon State had a bounce-back year last year, but uh, Boise State as a road underdog generally is a nice bet to take. Um, I don't know if they'll win, but I think that they can cover that margin anyway. Give me the uh, Broncos. How about you, Tom? Jones, Bo, I think I've seen today like a little quick stat, a little quick fun fact that Boise State, I want to say, I might misquote this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I want to say that Boise State is one of the only eight, eight, maybe eight teams, seven or eight teams that for the last eight seasons has had a winning road record. Um, it's hard to pick against that as much as I love the LSU teams. And uh, I think, you know, for the, for the sake of uh, Boise State, I think they get it done. Uh, they, at least they cover. Okay. Uh, Louisville and Syracuse. Louisville favored by four and a half. What do you think here, Bo? Um, I like Louisville to blow out. I mean, Syracuse, I mean, I, I don't know how this is four and a half. I, 
I like Syracuse at all. I'll take Louisville, and I feel pretty good about it. Okay. Uh, I like Louisville as well for the uh, same exact reasons. Uh, their darkest days, I think, are behind them. I think that program's headed up back on the right track. Yeah. Uh, I like Louisville to win that game. How about you, Tom? Yeah, I think you'd have to go with Louisville. Maybe maybe Vegas is baiting, in this, baiting us into something that we don't know. But, I mean, I'm not going to bet on this game. But it has to be Louisville, right? Okay. Last game. Uh, so far, Tom and I have agreed on every game here. Let's see if it ends on this one. Uh, TCU and Colorado. TCU favored by 13 and a half on the road. Uh, a former Big 12 member and one of the newer Big 12 members going head-to-head. Bo, what do you think about this? I like Colorado. I like Colorado. Again, this is one of those give me – um, give me the points on week one. I did read a little bit that TCU has a quarterback issue and is currently playing three quarterbacks. I have a saying that when you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. So I guess if you have three quarterbacks, you're like negative one. That's correct. So if that's Jones where you're at, like- I'll take Colorado. Um, 13 and a half, too many points for me. Here, here's the thing, though, I will say. Yes, that they have not figured out their quarterback situation, but I like two of those quarterbacks they do have. Max Duggan's not bad. Chandler Morris, I think, is a pretty good quarterback, too. Probably the best of those three. If Sonny Dykes, who is a good coach, if he can figure out that quarterback situation and the right guy, um, they can be a good team this year. Um, 13, I, I, I think Colorado wins, but I think TCU is going to keep it, cl- keep it close. Um, I'll go with uh, TCU to cut or, or sorry, I got that next step. TCU 13 and a half, too many points for me with that quarterback situation. I like TCU to win, but I like Colorado to cover. Give me uh, Colorado on that one. Tom, you're up. I like Colorado to cover too. Um, if I had to be an exact betting man, I'm going to tell you TCU by 10. And they've, kick the field goal to make it 10 to two possession game late and you know no Gary Patterson um I know you you mentioned Sonny Dykes good coach Colorado though no slouch I I like TCU by 10 but they're not covering that okay so those are our picks for this week uh Tom uh copied all my picks agreed me on every game Bo uh went with uh, Ohio State and Oregon but otherwise, uh, we're all pretty much on the same page for uh, week one this week. So uh, there you have it for our uh, picks this week. Bo, uh, college football, let's start there in, uh, in the football fix this week. Um, week one here, uh, what, what's your initial thoughts uh, going into 2022? What are your expectations for this year of what we're going to see in college football? You know, we just did a preview on my podcast about the season coming up, and I kind of had four or five questions for this year. I mean, I think the one of the big ones to me is the big-name coaches who have moved places. You know, we're talking about Brian Kelly. Um, I think Billy Napier, the one that we talked about earlier, going to Florida is a big one, Lincoln Riley, obviously. And to see with NIL and the combo of that with big coaches moving, how will that impact the game? Um, you know, will USC be good immediately with what they've added so quickly? That kind of thing. The other question to me is I look at Bama and go, 
can they go wire to wire? I mean, they're returning the Heisman Trophy winner. You know, we're hearing a lot of people saying this might be Bama's best team. You hear that every year. Um, you know, those kind of things are the kind of questions I'm seeing. The big question to me is there is a team that I think can become the premier program in college football. I think it's Ohio State. And this is the year that if Ohio State wants to be thought of as the biggest, best program in college football, they're going to have to win this year. And I mean win. They're going to have to win the playoff. They have the Heisman Trophy favorite. They're returning a great team. They're going to have to get in the playoff, and they're going to have to win it. But I think if any team can, it's them. I'm picking Ohio State as the national champion, we weren't even getting to that yet, Bo. You blew the lead there. Well, you know, so – but those are kind of the questions that I'm asking. I think the interesting interesting thing to me so far this season, what we're going to see is the big-name coaches thing. What's going to happen? Are they going to – how is NIL going to affect that? Can a team – and I'm using USC as the example. Can a team like USC go from being fairly good – to being a contender, a title contender immediately. You know, can Brian Kelly turn around at LSU knowing they can recruit and knowing they got players? Can he go in there and he's, I mean, I think Brian Kelly's the best coach in Notre Dame history. Can he go to LSU, recruit, use NIL the right way, and win? There's going to be some interesting stuff here. You know, uh, what did AM do with? You know, all the NIL talk at Texas A&M and all the money they've spent. You know, how good will Jimbo Fisher's team be? There's, We're just in this new era of football and college football, and I think that's the interesting stuff to me going into the season is take a look at what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, talent-wise on the field, the, uh, the quarterbacks, we had so many transfers around the country uh, that moved around this year. Um, and as much talk as there is, Bo, about C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, rightfully so, I'm looking around the country and, man, Caleb Williams is good. Uh, you know, J.T. Daniels, Slovis, Spencer Rattler. I mean, Quinn Ewers. I mean, there's a – I think – Last year, we saw some elite defenses, right, you know, that, that emerged right. and such. I think this year goes back to the offense. I think we're going to see a lot of points across the board. Yeah, I think we will see an increase in points. And, again, I think it's a matter of what, you know, are these – it'll be interesting because if these quarterbacks who have all moved around, if they're successful, this trend is going to continue. And if it's not, then we might see a pullback in that trend. And so I don't know. I, I just think those are the kind of things I'm looking at and going, okay, let's see how this is in 2022 because the, the repercussions moving forward for years and years are coming. Right. Right. Um, so you mentioned Ohio State you think is the best team in the country. Um. Uh, who is your playoff picks? Who do you see making the playoff when it's all said and done? I, I've got four. My four playoff teams, I, I picked Ohio State. They're going to win the Big Ten. I think Alabama's going to win the SEC. Um, I think USC is going to win the Pac-12. Now, I, 
I don't think they're the the best, best team, like the third best team overall, but they're going to run the table in that league. That league is weak. And they really just got to win out, beat Utah, and they'll be there. And I'll tell you the team I'm looking at, I think is really well coached, and I think it's under the table people aren't looking at, and it's Baylor. I think Baylor can win the Big 12. And if Baylor were to go undefeated and win the Big 12 with their defense and they're already a preseason top 10 team, I think Baylor can make the playoff. I think Baylor's probably the best team in the Big 12 right now if I had to bet. I don't like if, Baylor, if Baylor wins the Big 12, if Baylor wins the Big 12, a lot of I, I'm just seeing people either hardcore Baylor or absolute drop-off Baylor or not make the Big 12 championship. If Baylor wins the Big 12, someone's going to say, and they they very well might. That's a good point. I'm not discrediting anybody anybody for picking Baylor. Someone's going to buy out Dave Aranda. I thought oh, he absolutely. could be bought out yesterday. I, I thought he could be bought out last year. He wins the Big 12 this year and goes on a tear. And and God forbid if, if Baylor pulls through and makes the college football playoff, Dave Aranda is going to be bought out by a big school. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a big reason I'm picking them is I think Dave Aranda is a great coach. Dave Aranda could be the coach at LSU right now. The only reason he's not is they hired Brian Kelly. Right. Bigger name. Otherwise, yeah. it was Dave Aranda's job. Here's my concern with Baylor, though. You know, the schedule does not do them any favors. Early road game against a good BYU team. They have to travel to Norman. And then – a Big 12 championship game likely against OSU or OU for a second time. I mean, just, just some of those things. It is – that team is going to be tested. Say what you want about the Big 12, but that that Baylor team, Bo, it, it's, it's going to have to take perfection to get through that Big 12 and, and be in the playoff there. That's not an easy road. Yeah, they will have to win. Their, their first Big 12 game is against OSU. Granted, it's in Waco. That's a Big 12 rematch in the first Big 12 game. After already having played BYU in Pro Bowl. I mean, the, Mor- the Mormons could get them. That, that's, gonna, that's their tone set. That game is their tone set, and it yeah. comes early. I look at it this way. I look like I'm going to get the schedule up right now. They got a gimme against Albany. Then they play BYU. I think they're going to beat BYU. Texas State, then Iowa State. Then they have a home game against Oklahoma State. West Virginia, Kansas, Texas Tech. Oklahoma in early November. Look, I don't have any faith in Oklahoma this season. None. I, you, lose, you lose the great quarterback, you lose your coach, and, and they plundered that program. And I'm not a big Brent Venables guy. Maybe he can prove me wrong. I think there was a reason it took him so long to get a head coaching gig. And and I don't think they're going to be able to, even if he's good, I don't think he'll be successful year one. And then after that, Baylor has K-State, TCU, and Texas. Um, I think Baylor's got a pretty easy schedule past BYU, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Well, then you're back. I don't think Oklahoma. Oklahoma's that good team. So I See, think I Oklahoma disagree. State's I think that Oklahoma team's better yeah. than you think. I, I, I don't think, I don't I think Oklahoma, Oklahoma State's a better team than Oklahoma. Mm. I think Oklahoma State's a better test than Oklahoma. I do. 
this season. I, mean, right? going in. I think that's pretty even when you consider going to Norman as opposed to hosting Oklahoma State. Um, and then a big title game against either one of those again. I don't know. I don't know if Baylor can. I think I, you have to go undefeated in the big as a non Oklahoma or, or even Oklahoma State. You can't be a one loss team in the Big 12 and make the playoffs. Well, I don't think it, any team in the Big 12 can afford to lose any game and get in the playoff. I don't think Oklahoma can afford to lose a game. I think everybody, if you're going to be the Big 12 this season, you're going to be the Big 12 champion and get into the playoff, you're going to have to go undefeated. Because Ohio State's going to go undefeated. Alabama's going to go undefeated. A&M's only going to have one or two losses. And I mean, Georgia's only going to have one loss. Right. And there's, there's going to be SEC schools that are going to have a really good shot at saying, hey, we're a one-loss team and are better than a right. one-loss champion there. Yeah. Again, right. I'm taking Baylor because I think Baylor's going to run the table. And I think if they picks. run the table, you can't leave them out. Right. I'm going with Alabama to win it all. This is Saban's best team. Will Anderson is going to be your number one overall pick. He's the best player in college football, period. Um, you have to draft him. I don't care if you're looking for a franchise quarterback. Will Anderson's got to be your number one pick in the draft. Um, I would even consider Will Anderson a Heisman candidate. Open up the floor. Let defensive players have a door to win the Heisman. Will Anderson, if, you have, if you're open to the discussion – well, Anderson should be considered. Um, I had Alabama versus Ohio State in the championship game. My other two playoff spots, uh, I'm going with, with Utah, as I mentioned, and I think Georgia still gets in. I think their only loss is to Alabama in the SEC championship game. Uh, I you think both what? teams are in undefeated. I'm, I'm a big believer in Kirby Smart, but I'm not a big believer in losing that many really top-end starters in defense. And – all Stetson their second Bennett. teamers got great playing time last year. But that, but Stetson Bennett ain't that dude. Uh, he doesn't know. need to be. He's going to – yeah, because the difference between last year's team and this year's team is that was a historically good defense. I mean, historically good. I think that they'll might be, be, the think best they'll be historically good ever. again. And they – well, no, I don't think if you lose seven NFL players. Seven players that went in the first two rounds. Maybe it was for three. But, I mean – I mean, that's, that's a huge thing. That is the kind of drop-off like the drop-off from LSU's 2019 team. I'm telling you, I don't think that drop-off's as big as you think because all I do. of those guys were getting significant playing time that are now starters this year. Yeah, I, I just do. I think that Now, it does help Georgia there in the East. Right. And that, that does help them. But I do think if you look at it, I, I – let me pull up their schedule again because I know they're the number three ranked team in the nation. Yeah. Um, Tom, who's uh, who's your playoff picks and your champion? Jones, can I can I be biased on that show? Is this okay? Just give me the picks. Okay, I'm going to tell you. It's going to be Alabama. It's going to be Ohio State. I like a Pac-12 team to make a return. I don't want it to be USC. I think it could be. For what it's worth and for to be different, considering you said, well, Tom copied my picks here. I'll say USC, and you know what I'll say? I'll say Oklahoma State. I like the Boomer Sooners to be rooting for OSU when they end up playing Oklahoma 
Oklahoma State. USC plays Oklahoma State in uh, late December. Okay. I'll be Strong. different. Go Pokes. Yeah. Who wins it I'll all, see. though? It's going to be Bama, obviously. Yeah. I will tell you the one team I'll I bet think. A, I'll bet a life insurance policy on it, Bo. No <laughs> way. No way it's no way it's the red Ohio State. No way it's yeah. the red OSU. Absolutely not. I will give you one team I think under the radar other than Baylor. I think can do it. And it's, and it's A&M. Yes. Because A&M has whoa, whoa. a chance to beat. A&M has a chance to eliminate Alabama. Where's that game? It's in Tuscaloosa. It's in Tuscaloosa. Boy, I'd like to be a bet man to see you do that. Uh, I'll make sure I call you. I don't he didn't say it would happen. He said it could. I know. I, yeah. I just like talking some but I, I you know, here's here's my deal. Betting against jaded Nick Saban after he's losing to his former grasshopper, uh, Georgia. And then betting on him is a whole lot like betting on Tom Brady, and I learned that lesson because Jones made about a bit. Jones made a Benjamin Franklin off of me a couple of years ago. Uh, and that that game is uh, is going to be nasty. Alabama and Texas A and M. After all that happened this year, that's uh, that's the game of the year in college football. I think at this point. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Georgia doesn't play in, uh, Alabama during the season. Right. Uh, Bo, moving on, uh, let's talk NFL now. Uh, shifting gears there. Jimmy G staying in San Francisco. There's a lot we could read into this. Um, does San Francisco have doubts about Trey Lance? Is that reading too much into this? Like, what's, what's the deal here? I mean, like, if you believe fully in Trey Lance – why are you keeping Jimmy G around? I think because it's only six million bucks, or it's nine million with incentives. I don't think it's a bad deal. They had a lot of salary cap room. They were going to get nothing for him in a trade. It, it was going to be a salary cap dump. Here's what I think. I here's my full opinion on this. I think that the 49ers have been trying to trade him for months. There have been no takers. No one got hurt. We've been talking about that for a while. Carolina went to Baker instead. No one was going to give anything for Garoppolo because of his salary cap number. The 49ers were going to have to cut him, and they would have. They would have cut him this week and because it was $24 million to the cap. And from there, he clears waivers and goes somewhere, anywhere, but I think there was just nobody else wanting to take him at that $24 million cap number. If you can't find anybody to take him and you know, he's not going to go. No one else wants to take him in for free. Basically. I mean, no one wants to give up anything and pay him. He's not going to be your starter. I think this is a low risk backup player. This is a low risk backup quarterback. If your young quarterback's not great, He's not you don't think good. this is any distraction for Trey Lance having done there? No, I think he's gotten almost all the snaps in the in the preseason with the ones. I don't. I think this is purely he's the backup. He's holding the clipboard because does anybody in their right mind think Jimmy Garoppolo is a competitive starting quarterback in the NFL? This I think he can that, start. I I think that this. I is take a team him over Geno Smith any day. 
This is a team that completely changed their offense to make sure Garoppolo didn't throw the football the last two seasons. Right. And I just think that this is just a backup. I mean, this is a clipboard holder. The, 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 the clauses in the contract were no trades and he couldn't be franchised. This is a, we're going to rent you for the rest of the year. They wouldn't have had the no franchise deal if this was, we don't know what we've got in Trey Lance and we're not sure we'll hold on to Garoppolo. This is totally, hey, we're getting him cheap. We're getting him cheap and he's a quality enough backup that if Trey Lance were to miss four or six games, Garoppolo could help us get him, help us go 500 during that time. I mean, other than that, there is no reason to make this deal. And Garoppolo, of all people, you know he knew he was up creek when he took the deal. Right. Because why wouldn't you go into the market? You're going to get $9 million somewhere, aren't you? But he knew he wasn't because they've been trying to get rid of him for three months now. Now, I, I think people who are reading this is the 49ers don't like Lance is reading too much into this. There's a salary cap move, plain and simple. So with that, how long is the leash on Lance? Because we know this 49ers team is stacked. This is a really good team. They gave Debo all that money. That defense is really good. I mean, all they need essentially is the quarterback to take that next step. Um how long is that leash on Trey Lance? Uh, because you, you're going all in on this year. I mean, you have to – you can't throw away this season. If, if Lance is struggling, like if he's playing bad, how long do they keep it going? Is, is it a situation where we saw with like Brian Flores a couple of years ago where the Dolphins were really good, they pulled Fitzpatrick, put in Tua, but then Fitzpatrick still came in as like a closer, like a out of the bullpen or something at times, had to save the Dolphins and a couple of wins here and there and, and all that. I think How it's a different animal. I, I, I think it's a different animal. I think you look at – you're going to compare Ryan Fitzpatrick to Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo has never been a successful quarterback as far as taking a team over. He's always had some sort of downside issue. He's not a particularly good arm. He doesn't run an offense particularly well. This team changed their entire offense. It became the most run-heavy offense in the last 15 years of the NFL because he's not a good quarterback. So to go back to the question of Lance, there's no way I pull Lance for Jimmy Garoppolo. None. Yeah. The only reason I play in Jimmy Garoppolo from the 49ers is if Lance gets hurt. Otherwise, there's zero chance. I mean, I'll leave myself a 1% sliver, I guess. But I'm looking at their schedule right now. Look, the 49ers start out. In their first eight games, they got the Rams twice and the Chiefs. Otherwise, they're going to go five and three. They lose all three of those. And they got the Chargers. But then they've got some cupcakes on the backside. They have the Commanders. They have the Seahawks. They have the Raiders. Well, I don't think the Raiders are going to be as good as everybody thinks they are either. You know, the Cardinals, I mean, do we really think the Cardinals are going to be good? I, I'm not sold on the Cardinals at all. This 49er team can still win 10 games. And the rookie quarterback. 
But you can't win 10 games with Jimmy Garoppolo when there's nine guys in the box against the run because he can't beat you. They just won 10 last year. But how many did he play? He was out for a couple of those. And he played horrible. It's a different schedule. Right. No, I, there's no chance that he's winning 10 games. There, I, not with Jimmy Garoppolo. The 49ers know that. They know they're all in. They know they put everything around. And Trey Lance is going to be fine. I, I, I don't think Trey Lance is going to be, you know, a top five or even a top ten guy this season. But I think he's going to be fine. He had a full season last year to, to watch the, to watch what's going on. He's been on the sideline. He's got athletic tools. I, yeah, I, I don't see a situation outside of an injury where I would go and take Jimmy Garoppolo over Trey Lance at this point. Right. I mean, out of Trey Lance, you're asking him, you're not asking him too much. You're saying, can you be better than Jimmy G um, was last year? And that's like, it's not asking a whole lot. Yes. I'm not, I'm not high on Trey Lance either. I have my doubts about him. Um, what we've seen of him in limited time and preseason games and the reports out of training camp have not been that flattering about Trey Lance. Yeah. But even with all that, okay, all you have to do is be better than Jimmy G. They're not asking too much there. No, I agree. I think that's what I'm saying is that you're not asking him to go in there and be, and be Aaron Rodgers. You're just asking him to go in there and be better than Jimmy Garoppolo, which honestly doesn't take that much. Right. Um, let me ask you, uh, about the roster moves we've seen. The 53 man rosters have been trimmed down. The waiver claims being made, uh, anything uh, surprise you over the uh, last couple of days besides the uh, Garoppolo thing. Uh, I know that, you know, the, a couple teams, I was surprised carrying three quarterbacks, Pittsburgh, keeping Mason Rudolph around Miami, keeping Skylar Thompson as well as, <laughs> Uh, Teddy Bridgewater and Tua. Uh, what were some things that stood out to you with the moves that were made? Um, a couple of them. I saw um, the Vikings just traded for Jalen Rieger today. Uh, with yeah. Rieger's today. That one kind of surprised me. Um, Rieger's Alex been What's that? Rieger's been off. Yeah. Alex Leatherwood being released. Uh, the Bears have claimed him. Um, Leatherwood, Bo, he can't play tackle. He's got to no, play guard if he's got any future. Yeah, I, I don't understand why a team. Uh, yeah, I mean, he should be a, he should be a guard. I think it was a, a mistake having him at tackle. Uh, a guy who's never played it in college shouldn't be moved to to left tackle in the NFL. Um, and then a couple of the trades um, I saw um, the Saints traded. Um, um, Gardner um, Gardner Phillips, the um, the corner to the yes. Eagles, uh, was not happy about that. Um, but I think that more than anything, I don't see like a major cut. The couple of things I am surprised by, the one I'm surprised he hasn't signed anywhere is Indomitka Sir. He's yeah. still a free agent and no one's brought him in yet. It's kind of surprising. I hear he's talking to Cleveland. Yeah, he's also been rumored to be talking to the Raiders too. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a money thing, I'm pretty sure. And it's gonna be someone who's bad. You know, I know Odell Beckham is still out there, but he's injured. It's gonna be half a season until he's ready. 
that. So I think more than anything, I don't see – I think you brought up the point of a couple teams with three quarterbacks. You know, that's a little different. Um, the other thing I saw that was a, some of the practice squad stuff, especially after COVID now, we've seen this goes out, because how the rules changed during the COVID season, is your practice squad is not just a bunch of young kids anymore. You can hide a few good players in the practice squad now. And uh, I think that's a good thing. I think we've seen that with a few teams. So it'll be interesting. I saw that Sony Michelle is one of the Chargers. Mm-hmm. That one was one. I was surprised he was cut. And then, but I didn't, wasn't surprised he was not picked up quicker. I mean, I was like, okay. When I saw he was cut, I was like, well, he'll be on the team within, you know, 72 hours. Right. Um, especially a guy who's a red zone guy like him. Uh, nothing really jumped off as, oh my God, bad. Well, there was one from my team, the Saints, that I thought was, oh my God, bad. And that was Daniel Sorensen making the Saints. <laughs> He's your problem now. <laughs> oh, God. I was I actually got a Twitter argument with a couple of the Saints reporters, and, I was, and they said, well, they like him because he'll play special teams. And I said, He's an eight-year veteran. An eight-year veteran shouldn't be on your roster because he can play special teams. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, stuff like that. But yeah, there was no huge – the cuts we knew were going to happen happened already. That's right. just the nature of the salary cap era now. And the biggest cut would have been Garoppolo, but he restructured his contract. Right. And Baker got traded early. Right. Yeah. Um Kenyon Drake going from the Raiders to the Ravens. Uh, that was, I thought, a good pickup by Baltimore. I was I think surprised. So I'm surprised they let go of Tyler Beatty, though, uh, their six-round pick, uh, and you just put him on, released him the way that they did there. But, yeah, very, very interesting, some of these uh, moves that have occurred these uh, those last couple of days, yeah. Can you imagine, I think it was the Raiders who have who lost, who have cut, like, Two-thirds of the players they drafted just three years ago? Mike Mayock. We thought he was a genius on television. God, um, he's a moron, clearly. Uh, how did that team make the playoffs last year? I, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. And Excuse me. And I just – I mean, he did a horrible job. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that roster is just decimated. And – when you have that many draft picks not work out, I mean, he shouldn't be around. I mean, that's just awful. I mean, he uh, shouldn't be back on TV again after that. No, I wouldn't hire him at this point. And I was a big fan of his NFL network. I mean, he seemed like he knew his stuff, but man, he once he came down to the practicality of it, he was just awful. Well, and uh, the the thing that I find interesting too with Josh McDaniel's approach in this this Raiders team, Bo, is that you know they've dismantled this roster, right? You know they, they've changed yeah. it inside and out. Of what yeah. was a playoff team that won ten games last year? Yeah, and they are tearing this. They're taking the 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 hammer to the woodshed on this team. Yeah, and there's still some room to grow in there as well. I just. I look at that team and just think, man, they they did go to the playoffs this year, last year, but they're the worst team in that division. Now that's a rough division. Let's not get it twisted here. I like them better than Denver myself. I like Denver better. I mean, I like Denver by three or four games better. Um, 
I don't like uh, I don't like the Raiders as much this season. I the Raiders had a chance to really improve their team and they didn't do it with quarterbacks. So I yeah, I they're still another season or two away in my view. Bo, we're out of time. As always, appreciate you joining us. Uh, catch Coach Bo on the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every Monday and Friday. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, uh, O'Connor Advisor Group, OAGCast.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com. Bo, thanks for joining us as always. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Tom. Final segment before we go. It's our Tom Fullery story of the week. Thomas Bridges tells us, Something happening ridiculous in the world. Tom, where shall we head down to this time? Jones, it looks like we're going to a Navy SEAL base of some sorts. And, um, you know, we, you know, if you want to look at the history of the Navy SEALs or just in terms of the military, um, you know, you, you, you could look at, you could look at a couple of things in terms of medication giving to those, I guess you could, uh, you could give them, you could say soldiers, you could say players, who's ever in the game. Um, the U.S. military is not one to shy away from giving essentially what is performance enhancing drugs to their members. That always, that, that goes all the way back to, uh, you know, World War II and, and, and even further beyond that in terms of PEDs, in terms of amphetamine to keep their Air Force soldiers awake. And Tom, no, or, no don't ask us how. Right. Well, no, no, no. I mean, it's documented. It's well documented that they've given their fighter pilots amphetamine to keep them awake on long missions. And um, from what what some would probably call no-dos, I would call the uh, A.J. Almondinger treatment. I think, <laughs> they were, I think they were getting Adderall before any of us were getting into college. I can tell you that. Um, but we're not talking about Air Force pilots. We're not talking about Top Gun Tom Cruise. We're talking about Navy SEALs Jones. This comes from Insider.com, and it's a little bit different than a little bit of Adderall, a little, little bit, a little bit of Ivans. This comes from Home and Health on Insider.com, and the title reads: Aspiring Navy SEALs are using Viagra, a little bit of Mark Martin shit, to self-medicate. When they here's the, here's the thing. How many NASCAR references you got to get in this segment? Let's see. I'm, I'm I'm adding a little NASCAR. We haven't talked about NASCAR. I'm I'm not on the Let's Go Racing pod with David Starr. You know, I'm I'm, I'm trying to get the NASCAR out. playoffs beginning this weekend. Huh? Right. I'm not. I'm trying to get a little shout out from David Starr of uh, that's awesome, buddy. You know, <laughs> um, you know, and and a little bit of Mark Martin here. Um, Jones have been self-medicating with Viagra and it's, it's not to, uh, you know, it's not to bang the, the different bar girls they meet out in San Diego or in Pensacola or wherever the naval bases may be. Um, Jones is a little bit different. And before I give you the rest of the title, do you know who David Goggins is? I do not. David Goggins is a badass. He is an ultra marathon runner. He has a book called, um, Oh God! It's some. I I feel bad now. Your your buddy Chase Senior has read it. I've read it. It's essentially it's a David Goggins book, and he and he tells the the story about himself growing up and and wanting to become a Navy SEAL and and going through uh, the Hell Week um, out in San Diego at um, not North Island, um, but but one of the bases out there for the Navy SEALs and. Um, he, he details 
in his book and, and just on his podcast. He's been on Joe Rogan several times. He's had his own podcast. Uh, he's, he's, he's very explicit um, and, and how he details things. And, and his tagline is stay hard, uh, which is funny because stay hard. Navy SEALs are using Viagra. You would think. You know, maybe maybe it's a David Goggins thing. Stay hard, you know. Have a rock hard dick when you go into Hell Week. But they're not they're not they're not doing it, Jones. They're not doing it to have a hard dick through Hell Week. This even gets darker. They are self medicating when they start coughing up blood during qualifying drills. They say it works at a price. Okay. Article reads in February, a Navy SEAL recruit died. This, I told you, this is, to be honest with you guys, whoever's listening, I read the tagline when I decided this for Tom Fullery, but I did not go any further than the tagline. So this is my first read as well. I like to do that because when me and Jones, Jones, this is the first time he's had this. I've, I've kind of switched from reading articles and in the beginning, I've, I've like stick to taglines so I can give you the same reaction as you would hear it when you hear it for the first time. So this is Joan's first time. This is my first time. Um, you know, we are um, Navy SEALs, Viagra virgins in the <laughs> of this article. Um, you know, and, you know, jokes aside, this is my real reaction. I told you this. I'd already told you about David Goggins' Hell Week and staying hard. And the article starts off with the first little bullet point. In February, Jones, a Navy SEAL recruit, died. After the intense portion of training known as Hell Week, I told you, Goggins, as crazy as he is, went through that three times. He reportedly used illicit Viagra to offset a buildup of fluid in the lungs from strenuous swimming. Drug use among, drug use among SEAL recruits has raised concerns about the risk of the notoriously tough program. The Navy SEAL's infamously difficult training course is so brutal, some recruits are turning to drugs to make it through including off-label use of Viagra reports in New York Times, basic underwater demolition, SEAL, or BUD slash S, BUDS for short. It's notorious for having one of the highest rates of failure in the U.S. military. It is a grueling mental and physical ordeal that only the most resilient enrollees can withstand. Only 15, between 15 and 30% of recruits who start the program will complete it. Insider Stavros See this this is this is not even a real name. Stavros Atmala Atlamazugulu reports. That, that's not a real name. One portion of training known as Hell Week occurs early on in training, but involves near constant cold, damp, and physical exertion combined with sleep deprivation. The program has attracted controversy for recent deaths and the discovery that recruits were using performance-enhancing drugs. Jones, I told you, this is, I'm not bullshitting you. This is my first time reading this. I, I prefaced this, reading this article with telling you that, um, you know, Navy SEALs and, and fighter pilots use PEDs and they've used Adderall and Vivans and went the AJD, AJ Almondinger route and now they're using Viagra. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, there's, you know, nothing's off limits, it seems, to face the challenges of SEAL training. Um, you know, in, in February, like they said, I hate when they re, re, redo these, but in February, one recruit died and another was hospitalized after Hell Week. U.S. Navy Seaman Kyle Mullen died February 4th and his death was officially listed as bacterial pneumonia. 
He had been coughing up blood for days, the Times reported. Um, Jones, this is from the Goggins book. Um, and specifically one thing that I have, have recalled from that Goggins book is that if you if you do this Navy SEAL training, if you get pulled for any reason, whether that be a medical condition like this guy coughing up blood, if you get pulled, you have to wait like six months or longer to be able to retake it and you have to start over. So all that work you have put in before Hell Week, you have to go ahead and redo. Um, to put in perspective, Goggins details in his book, and, and I've remembered it now, it's called Can't Hurt Me, details that three times through Hill Week in terms of him having to start over um, and, and going through that. Um, and then he got pulled the first two times for injury or sickness. And so I, I understand that this guy, the guy that ended up dying, said, you know what, no, I'm not going to do this, or took drugs to be able to get through that week to maybe ease his struggle, which ended up costing him his life. During extensive strenuous swimming in frigid waters, participants in SEAL training may de- develop a dangerous condition called swimming-induced pulmonary edema, or SIPE, in which fluids build up in the lungs. A common symptom is coughing up bo- bloody fluid. One potential treatment for SIPE is sildenafil, better known as Viagra, which is typically used to treat erectile dysfunction. Um, Mullen has been taking Vi- Mullen had been taking Viagra against Navy regulations on the advice of his fellow recruits to manage symptoms of SIPE and stay in the program. He recovered enough to keep training, but his condition worsened as the program progressed. According to the Times, Mullen started to fall behind, collapse, and needed oxygen from nearby medics, but continued to the training until the conclusion of Hell Week. He completed a medical check, but after medical staff had left, he coughed up enough bloody fluid to fill a Gatorade bottle. Hours later, new recruits called 911 for a medical emergency, and medics arrived to find Mullen unresponsive and without a pulse. Afterward, the Navy found syringes and performance-enhancing drugs in Mullen's car, and subsequent investigation identified 40 recruits who either tested positive or admitted to illicit substance use. While Mullen's death was not tied directly to drugs, it prompted more scrutiny and adjustments to the BUDS program, removing some of the harsher elements, according to the Times. And over time, the drugs can add to the stress on sailors' vital organs, including their hearts and livers. Dr. Matthew Fedoric, the chief science officer of the United States Anti-Doping Agency, told the Times, it could also make it harder for drug-free recruits to compete, raising the stakes even higher for all the trainees to push through even more exhausted and and injury. It makes it that much harder for the people doing the right thing to shine, he said. Jones, um, if they said, hey, to uh, get you a new job or your dream job or whatever job you wanted, you got to pop the blue pill. Are you doing it? Um, Are are you taking PEDs? Let's say if you can't get caught, are you taking performance-enhancing drugs to get the job done? Well, you know, I, I never said that I was a man of morals by any means, you know, that, that I had any principles or anything. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, you got to do what you got to do. If you got to get hard as a rock to uh, get on top, then let's ride. If you got to have enough stamina for the second half, then by all means. Right. You know, I, I, don't, blame, I don't blame him. I don't know that he would have survived without it. I, I think – 
you know, I didn't know that ED medication um, stopped symptoms of this thing that he called uh, pulmonary edema. We might have to call our friend Miguel, our 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 uh, official official doctor of the Jones Report, official nurse of the Jones Report, uh, to get on to tell us about pulmonary edema. I've heard that term, but I have no clue what it means. Uh, I've never I've never uh, claimed to be a doctor. Uh, Jones used to. If you have listened to this show long <laughs> enough, get the doctor report with Tyler Jones. We never did cover taking. Uh, taking viagra um and we've also never had mark martin on the show to my recollection um so maybe it's time uh maybe we maybe we ask about maybe we you know it would be very interesting i don't know how hard it would be to get david goggins on the show but it'd be very interesting to ask him a personal question that if he ever took um ed medication for pulmonary edema considering that he went through that hell week that literally killed this guy that we just talked about and hospitalized another one. Um, you know, a, a lot of Hell Week takes in the cold waters of the Pacific and they they literally swim amongst the sharks. Um, I, I don't remember any that. Right, you know, and, and so I don't know. I, I'm more interested now. Like I said, I, I've never... I, Jones, I'll be transparent with the listeners. I've never bullshitted him here recently. You know, I've read articles and I've embellished a little bit some of them to make it more interesting. But I think it's more interesting now that I don't read the article and only the tagline. So I'm reacting it to it in real time as you are. Um, I can't imagine ever. I, 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 I like AJ Allmendinger's route of things for the for the Adderall thing. I, yeah. I can't say that I would say I'm around a, a bunch of guys the whole time. Um, you know, we're sweating, we're working hard, and here you are, your your fellow recruits over here saying, "Well, I think uh, I think a, a hard on pill will help me do a little bit better." Um, I guess to each your own. Different, different. What they say, different, different strokes folks. for different folks. Yeah, and I'm not one to be one of those different strokes, so. I don't know if they said, listen, if you can make this much more money, if you want to have a hard on while doing it, then, you know, maybe I'd go to the ER for a hard on over four hours, but I don't know how much Viagra he was taking. Um, you know, this is like the versatility of Viagra, like beyond just getting a hard on so you can, you know, you know, do it in the bedroom, you know, I mean, like, well, I'm, I'm interested too, Jones. Like here's, like, here's a couple things that I know of, uh, of just some people that I know. Like, I had a, a former co-worker who he would go to the gym and take Viagra so he could lift as much as possible and not feel pain. But in doing so, he would be at the gym with a boner. So it was like, okay, sure, you can lift more, but do you want to, like, just – have a boner, you know, while you're lifting. I mean, is that really worth it? I mean, that's true. Well, well, and it makes sense too. He says without pain, you know, Viagra or sildenafil, as it's called. I'm looking at the pronunciation now. Sildenafil is how you pronounce it. That's the active drug. Um, is is sometimes per prescribed for high blood pressure or hypertension. It's a vasodilator 
um, which, you know, some of the time, um, I, and this is not a medical show, you know, we, we've had to give disclaimers before here recently in terms of conspiracy theories, and I'm going to give you another one now that I am no way a doctor, um, not even when the doctor report with Tyler Jones around was I was a doctor. Her sister may, may be a nurse. One of my good friends may be a nurse. I may know a few doctors, but I do not. This is not um, medical advice by any means. Um, I mean, the only medical no knowledge that we know was that COVID came from a lab in Wuhan, China. You know, like that's that's all we can confirm. Exactly. And and so, you know, sildenafil is not only used if, if you need to get a hard on and you can't, you can take it. Um, it also helps with pulmonary arterial arterial hypertension. Uh, that's AKA high blood pressure. Uh, you know, I can see why your friend or whoever you talked about uses it, used it in the gym. Um, you know, a vasodilator carries more blood to other areas, either getting, you know, um, damaged by the way of working out, um, and, and more blood flow to that area. It's like cupping. Have you ever seen the weird massage therapist thing in terms of cupping more blood flow eases pain and and helps with recovery. And so maybe vasodilators do the same. Um, you know, they said sildenafil treats hypertension by relaxing the blood vessels in the lungs to allow blood flow easily. Um, looking at it for other medication or other uses, they don't really say anything besides hypertension and, and for, uh, obviously boners, you know, that's obviously what it's for. Yeah. Um, I had another friend of mine, uh, an old teacher in high school, uh, his son had heart issues. His son was like four or five years old and they had to put him on Viagra just to get his blood to flow properly. I mean, yeah, I probably had high blood pressure or like maybe some arterial clots. And, you know, this this other article said Viagra or sildenafil also improves exercise tolerance in patients with heart failure. So, you know, it's not only to keep, you know, it's not only to keep you hard in the bedroom, it's to keep you hard in life, baby. Yeah. I love it. That's great. Good story this week. Uh, Tom Fulry, as always, Tom. Big thanks. To Bo, as well as John Kurtz for joining us. You, the listener, for stopping by as well. And uh, football season's here. We're covering it all over here on the uh, Studio Soapbox Network. This show, uh, Coach Bo's show, Let's Go Racing with David Starr. Check out all our shows. Search Studio Soapbox wherever you listen to podcasts. And this show out each and every Thursday. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Check us out on social media. Facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live, Facebook.com slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, Twitter at Thomas underscore Bridges, and uh, Twitter at Studio underscore Soapbox, Instagram, Jones underscore Report, Tyler Jones Live. It's Thomas. You can find us there. Uh, Big thanks to everybody for uh, being here with us today. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, next week, We'll be all over the start of the NFL season. I mean, if you thought today was fun, it feels like we get to do it all over again with the NFL starting next week. So we'll look forward to that. 
for our entire crew of time, our Jones. Thanks so long. This has been another edition of the Jones World. We'll see you next week. Stay hard. <laughs>